Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to, wait, what? Comics and Pop Culture Podcast, coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, in this two-hour and 40-minute episode, our very last Wait What episode of the year, Graham McMillan and I discussed the best books of 2018, covered the news about the American relaunch of Shonen Jump, as well as the cancellation of Daredevil on Netflix, compare and contrast the different comic streaming services, and talk about the first seven issues of Plus Ultra by John Hughes and Matthew Weldon. Comments on this episode are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Send us your questions at waitwhatpodcast.gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan, hello! Ellen, happy holidays. Do you know this is going to be the last regular Wait What of the year? I I have to say, Graham, uh, uh, technically, because you and I do this together, that should not catch me by surprise. And I'll be honest, it didn't, but only because I looked at the calendar and went, wait, this is the last podcast of the year? <laughs> I, know. I know. Well, we were doing a box for Sorry. Week. Yeah, sorry. The, the last Wait What of the year. God, I can't believe I screwed that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I had this thing like, wait, what? No, no pun intended. <laughs> no, but yeah, I also I, I realized that this week, and I was like, oh, are we supposed to have like done our best of lists? Because because I haven't. Well, you know, I I feel like I maybe I didn't mention this, but I was acutely aware that I was not going to be doing a best of list this year. Like I you just did not mention that, and I want to know why. I just haven't. I feel like I haven't. I haven't read enough. I mean, it's it's very much that feeling of uh, this. A lot of the stuff that I pursued or read uh, ended up being like, um, you know, either stuff that was published a while ago that I'm tracking down, or I'm just very aware of how little um, I'm in the uh, in the quote unquote no. You know, like, because as these year-end lists pop up, like, I'm well aware, having sort of kept an eye on them, and you and I normally do a best-of list, um, I'll at least sort of sit down and scan through what we've read and pick out my favorite reads or, or whatever. Um, and and But usually while looking at other people's lists, it's like, oh, yeah, I've heard of 80% of these books or 60% of these books. And this year I was like, man, I just... It's one of those things where I just felt like, you know, I just didn't read a large enough sample set to actually <laughs> be able to sit here and be like, these are the best of the year, you know? So to let you in behind the scenes of journalists, Jeff, <laughs> um, I've been having I mean, at this point, I think it's like three or four conversations with different people who write about comics mm-hmm. about like best of lists. Mm hmm. And it's been the same conversation over and over again, which is this is a really weird year because there's not like a front runner book. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like in the past, it's been everyone's like, have you read, you know, X, Y, or Z? Mm-hmm. Like this time last year, have you read Mr. Miracle? Mr. Miracle is going to be the top of everyone's list. And this year, there isn't like one book that mm-hmm. people are really going towards. Like I, the conversations I've been having are people who are like, oh, no, I really liked, you know, whatever, pick a book. Mm-hmm. Um but there's not like one front runner. There's not like, you know, one book that everyone's like, this is the book of the year. Uh, and, and the, the, the various people that I've spoken to about this have all had their, well, of course, any list has to include X, mm-hmm. but 
they're never the same book. Mm. They're yeah. never the same book. And that's, that strikes me as really odd. But I, I agree, like, I'm also, cause I, I literally do this for, like, this is part of the, my day job. This is part right. of something that I get paid for. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been really struggling this list. Mm-hmm. Like, I can tell you right now, like, my, my, my in process list, like the books that I, the first came to me when I was like, I've got to start thinking about this. Mm-hmm. But honestly, like, to say that a lot of them have question marks after them, because I'm like, really though? It is, is putting it mildly. Mm-hmm. It, it really, there's a, I, there's a lot of things I know I liked. Mm-hmm. And yet I'm also like, but, you know, it's, right. it's, it's a really weird year for that. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Well, and it, I I kind of get it. I mean, I feel like for I feel like it's a different problem than for me. I mean, I really am like I just don't feel like I've had my toes very much in in the pond, which is fine. It is what it is. I just think that it would be genuinely misleading to to turn around and for, present myself as any sort of any sort of authority. But I mm-hmm. think that for those of you who do enough reading and are sort of in the know and in the flow. Uh, I, I think that, I think that there are those years where there's no clear front runner, but the fact that everyone's got lots of assorted picks is I think a really, really good sign that, that the marketplace is healthy. Yes. On a content level, you know? Yeah, very much. Also something that was really interesting was the number of people who said a variation on, some of my favorite books have come out in the last few months and I don't feel there, I don't feel there are enough issues to really claim it's one of the best of the year. Right. right. Uh, you know, titles in that range include like, Miss, uh, Martian Manhunter, which mm-hmm. literally just came out this past week. Mm-hmm. Um, Bitterroot from Image. Mm-hmm. Uh, shit, there's another one. There's another one that literally just launched and people were like, I love this, but like, we've literally had two issues. Mm. God, I can't remember what it is. But, there, you know, there's been stuff like that, which has been really interesting, mm-hmm. which people are like, you know, I, I, based on this issue or based on these two issues, I know that if there were more of this out, it would make the, the, my list, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, yeah, it, it's strange. Like, uh, one of the things that's, uh, and I'll be really curious what you think of this when it comes out, um, Goddess Mode is out next week from Vertigo. Mm-hmm. It's the Zoe Quinn comic with yes. uh, Rick Frenzy. Right. And I loved it. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, it is very much what it is, which sounds like a weird, like, quasi backhanded compliment. <laughs> but, so I, I read, I read it earlier because I was, I was interviewing Zoe Quinn. Mm-hmm. And I read it and I'm reading it. I'm going, this is like, I'm seeing all these influences. I'm seeing all these things that it reminds me of. And more than anything, it reminds me of Grant Morrison's Invisibles. Mm. Right, and specifically the second volume, hmm. the volume where you get the interludes in the future, mm-hmm. and and specific things about that as well, like it, it, the the Michael Lark issue where where it goes to 2012 and you see uh, Robin in the future. Mm-hmm. I I got a lot of that in this issue, in the first issue of Goddess Mode, um, and I say this to her. <laughs> Like when the interview's done, and she's like, "Yeah, I've I've still not read Invisibles." Wow! And I was like, oh, "That's fascinating," because like this is this is like I really strongly got Invisibles vibe from this. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's that, you know, there there 
there really is like wonderful like pop superhero like Sailor Moon esque thing going on in there as well. Mm-hmm. There's it. I I'd always hesitate to say like cyberpunk because cyberpunk seems like a very specific thing now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like technological sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's all these different flavors in it that I really respond strongly to, and I I feel that you know had this book come out in June and we had six issues by now, mm-hmm. I'd be like yeah this is one of the best of the year for sure. But again, you get one issue for the end of the year. And for all I know, issue two will be terrible. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But it's, it's like Bitterroot. I thought the Bitterroot's first issue was amazingly strong. Mm-hmm. Like really genuinely a great comic. Super smart, super subtle in, in really nice ways. Mm-hmm. But again, issue two could be terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, and there really is that, that you know, <gasps> Martian Manhunter's another one. I loved issue one. Mm-hmm. Who knows what it's just going to be like? But if those if those comics had come out even like three months earlier, that I would feel confident in saying like you know you've had four issues, yeah, sure, it's 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 one of the best of the year, right? Yeah, it, it's it. I I do think that it, there is something that is wonderful about the comics industry is that uh, especially you know clearly. OGNs and collections are a different thing entirely, but when a book is coming out and it's published monthly or it's being it's being serialized, there is that excitement of oh this is good this real and you know kind of that there's that uh, uh, there's definitely the hope that it's going to build to fruition and you kind of have the enjoyment of. I don't know that little bit of payoff issue by issue of like yes this is this is turning out great this is going to be really good you know as opposed to um uh just when you get one when you have a full uh issue you know yeah uh, I, when you have collection. like when mm-hmm. yeah or when you have the an OGN mm-hmm. and you can literally weirdly enough um uh Brian Lee O'Malley's seconds was this for me Mm-hmm. That like made me through. I was like, "This is amazing," and it ended in a way that left me dissatisfied. Mm-hmm. And so I came away being like, "Oh, that wasn't that good." And right. the, the greater distance I have from it, the more I'm like, "No, but it did. It did a lot of things I really liked." Right. Whereas if they had broken it into like four chunks or whatever, like I I would have had like three months of being like, "This is totally working for me." Exactly, and only one month of. Eh, and probably probably the like it was mostly great might have stuck a little stronger for you exactly and i think that's that's something that's really uh important in a weird way for mm-hmm. for uh, for serialized comics that, that it helps you in a strange way get over like the 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 blown ending mm-hmm. do you know what i mean because you still have because you build up an affection for something Across the X number of of months of you liking it mm-hmm. to the point when even when it does disappoint you, you're like, yeah, but you know, it's still it's still great. Like, remember all those good times we had? <laughs> yeah, no, really, exactly. It's, it's, no, um, it, absolutely, it's a cumulative effect. And in fact, one of the things this is not the best segue, but because uh, it because there's a few new there's a few quote unquote news stories that I'm sure we'll we'll get to but one thing that really struck me is uh as you know 
Marvel TV and Netflix, Netflix announced that there was not going to be a fourth season of Daredevil. And there's, at least in my corner of the Twitter feed, lots and lots of links and analysis. And and because I follow this one Daredevil fan account, just ridiculous amounts of obstinate, like, you know, completely stubborn, bring it back, bring it back. It'll come back. It must come back. Hashtag bring back the show. Like, and people have done such a brilliant job of explaining why that is almost certainly not going to happen, you know, because of the deal that Marvel and Netflix made, which was very well laid out. It's just, it's just not. Uh, But one of those people, one of the accounts said, um, like, they basically were like, I don't really have much interest in the comic characters anymore. Um, I just don't like the various, like whatever the identity drop and the mind wipe and the whatever they were like, they should reboot the book and they should make it closer to the TV show. And of course I was kind of like, Oh, sure, sure. But then I kind of had this moment of like, you know, Marvel could, turn around and launch a daredevil season four the comic series couldn't they mm-hmm. like they mm-hmm. own One, enough 100 of... yeah i mean even right down to being able to take the ideas from the writer's room and being like okay this is what we're gonna do and that, i have to say that's one of the strangest things about the the show getting canceled mm-hmm. that like the writers had planned season four mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then they found out that it was canceled like that's there's, I have so many questions around how that show got cancelled. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, it is a... I mean, it, it, it is one of those things of when you look back on it, the the whole initial, as, as analysts pointed out, the original Netflix Marvel deal was a relatively limited, self-contained... Oh, yeah. It was, it was, it was essentially for four seasons. Or yeah. for five seasons. So like four seasons and the half season of, Dare, of Defenders. Right. It yeah. was, it was basically supposed to be a collected of limited series, mini series that were going to add up into that little half mini series event. And in that sense, because it, because especially Daredevil succeeded far beyond, like it, the whole thing blew up so quickly. We had season two of Daredevil, like, the Punisher spun out of that, and then suddenly there were. It looked like there were more shows that were building while the initial four shows were still building towards the Defenders. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit of an idea of like, on the one hand, it you know, it was obviously a much bigger success than they had originally planned for, but they had only originally planned the the deal and the contract had only been for a certain amount of stuff. And as people pointed out, like Netflix paid a lot of money for stuff that it does not own any of the Mm -hmm. property to, you Mm -hmm. know, at all. And Mm -hmm. at the time it was worth it for them to be able to have a big attention getting series that could immediately have the smell of popularity and prestige. So it was at least initially a success, but the idea that they would continue to put more and more money into shows 
that would cost more and more while getting diminishing returns in terms of viewership and things. It just it it clearly doesn't make any sense. Well, also, it's worth pointing out that there are uh, many rumors that Netflix didn't cancel. Marvel mm. did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think – how do I put it? I think that that is true with the enormous asterisk of um, that season was being put into effect and Marvel was like, okay, so you're going to give us this much money to do this season, right? And Netflix was like, no, we're not. We'll give you this much money to do that season. And Marvel being like – you mean this much money? And Netflix is like, no, that much money. And then Marvel's going to turn around and be like, Netflix canceled Daredevil. You know, I, I just think that that's probably, that's probably the way it went. You know, um, they both were partners. Neither of them, neither of them were getting enough out of it to keep going with it. So, you know, but I do, I mean, who knows? That seems to me to be the smart bet. Um, Interestingly enough, in a weird, convoluted way, uh, I know somebody who knows somebody who was on the uh, worked creatively behind the scenes on the ill-fated season two of Daredevil, and again, entirely third-hand. So I might as well well be reading the tweet of Daredevil fan seventeen eighty four, but there was apparently a lot of frustration. Um, from the creative teams on season two, specifically tied to being ha- constantly hamstrung by budget and money issues, even that far back. Mm-hmm. So, you know, considering Marvel TV very much fell uh, on the corner of Marvel that's in Ike Perlmutter's sphere of influence um, and knowing what we do about his love of a tight budget, I think that... You know, and even again, Netflix trying to be like, okay, I guess we'll do a second season, like if that makes sense to us, I suppose it does, because this was a hit. Um, you know, I think there's there's a lot of question marks there about, you know, that everybody managed to sort of succeed, kind of despite the odds, for as long as it should be. Uh, that the, mm-hmm. the people on the net should really be celebrating that they got three seasons of Daredevil rather than, you know. Yeah, why why didn't we get seven? It's true. Like, it was supposed to get one season. The fact yeah. that you got three seasons shoot, is a success. And also, let's be honest, this show finished its story. Mm-hmm. I, I think so. I was very happy when they got to end of season three, and I'm like, oh, okay, let's just wrap this up. This kind of doesn't need to go anywhere else. It feels else. like it was over, yeah. yeah. Like, I, I there's more... Uh, I think it, it's more for like the Luke Cage and Iron Fist fans to be grumpy mm-hmm. because I think you can make an argument that Daredevil season one through three told a relatively coherent story mm-hmm. or at least season three had enough of season one in it to make it feel like a, a climax to the story introduced in season one. Absolutely. Um, And I think that like Luke Cage and Iron Fist clearly didn't. And honestly, Iron Fist to one degree, finished a story, mm-hmm. but Iron Fist also finished in such a way that suggested a sequel was coming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Technically, but then I, again, I don't know, because even though oh, that's dude, one of my favorite dude, comic book characters, I couldn't make it past episode four, and that was almost at gunpoint 
practically. Do you, do you, well, do you know how the season ended? No, no. Shall I spoil you and also is, all our listeners? Is it? Is, did they even do two seasons? Like they did? Yeah, Iron Fist. Yeah, they did. Oh, they did. Okay, so yeah. they actually got two seasons out of that thing. Someone mentioned that online, and I was like, "Wait, they did? Huh? I was not paying attention." So, uh, yeah, sure, I think that's fair. I mean, listeners, I'll I'll try and put up a warning in the show notes. <laughs> Go for it, Graham. Graham. The end of season two. Yes. I had myself on mute. That's fine. You can edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, the end of season two sees Danny giving up the Iron Fist to clean. Oh, that's very cool. Which which everyone everyone who was still watching the show, i.e. five people, honestly thought was setting up uh, Daughters of the Dragon series. Because mm, mm-hmm. you had Colleen and, and Misty had been active throughout... Um, through uh, Luke Cage season two as well. Right. So like you had literally introduced the Daughters of the Dragon. Mm-hmm. So it would only make sense, except of course it doesn't make sense because Marvel is, is Marvel and Netflix seem to be having a divorce. Right. Exactly. And uh, again, part of me is like, you know, uh, you know, it's funny. I, uh, I guess you didn't get this or maybe you did, but I got, I suddenly out of the blue got an email from Comixology that's like, Daughters of the Dragon, issue one, free, redeem it now. And yeah, uh, I, I, I didn't get that. You're, but you're a Comixology Unlimited subscriber, right? I guess so, yeah. So I I guess I'm, sure, I'm sure that's why you got it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but I kind of had this thing of like, huh, I wonder why Marvel wants to push the numbers of Daughter of the Dragon up, you know. Yeah. I would love to know what the numbers are in their digital first comics. Mm-hmm. I would love to know that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because they launch new series for Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, and Dora the Dragons as those shows all get canceled on Netflix. Uh huh. I know. And part of you me know? does wonder if they again maybe they should pivot and you know just kind of do the Buffy season nine. It, again, with Daredevil season four, it 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 seems like it seems like a, a no brainer, right? Yeah. Especially cause, like DC's done like Flash and Arrow comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, considering how quick Marvel is to pump books onto the market, it really does seem like this might be a good idea. And yeah, no, I'm I'm fascinated in a way, feeling like Marvel. Marvel, uh, looking at what gets released on Marvel Unlimited and seeing Marvel's, like the digital first books, really Mm -hmm. felt like Marvel had tied itself very closely to their media properties, you know? Right, exactly. So, you know, I'm curious to see where they're going to go next, and I'm also kind of, I sort of... I. Looking at the last few weeks of Marvel Unlimited releases, I've been like, well, unless they're coming out with a Quasar TV show somewhere, I don't think they've got it's anything the up weirdest, their sleeve. It's the weirdest shit that's going on to Marvel Unlimited now. Yeah, yeah. It really genuinely is. It's like, what exactly are you doing? Like, are you literally just being like, we have this back catalog we've never put on? Because mm-hmm. it makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're just filling in bits here and there, which which, you know, is sort of fine. But it's interesting because 
particularly, I would say, as a Marvel Unlimited subscriber this year, it's been a pretty strong year for being a subscriber in that every week it felt like they were dropping 60 titles a week in there. You know, all the new stuff and then anywhere from like 20 to 30 issues of back library and again a lot of times that library seemed very very closely tied to what they were interested in developing yeah yeah very much it, it's but i mean it's just i'm looking back like of what they've released recently on here and it's just nuts mm-hmm. like back issues of thunderbolts mutant x yeah quasar and kazar <laughs> yes oh let's hope that that's the show quasar and kazar like they're they're like one's a jungle lord and the other one has the NECA bands and they're like I don't know cops or buddy cops. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but it's I mean you look at what's really interesting to me is you know we talk about Marvel Unlimited being close to Marvel's media properties, mm-hmm. but on another hand like Marvel's output is really really far divorced from Marvel television properties. Mm-hmm. Like the Agents of Shield comic doesn't exist. Mm. And well, that show was somehow like renewed for seven seasons. See, but that's I think, <laughs> but I think that's it. I feel like a Marvel did try to do an they, agent. They did, yeah, they yeah. did. That's true. And I don't, th- I don't think anyone was interested in it. And unless ABC is willing to underwrite the budget of it, like it's apparently willing to do for Agents of Shield for some god unfor- unforeseen reason. Um, there's got to be an astonishing like second market for that because the ratings are not there for that show. Yeah. All like all I can think is either somehow like Marvel is paying them to do it, or there's like an, an amazing secondary market for that. Yeah, I'm inclined to think that it's like a secondary market, or it's one of those deals that since Marvel, since ABC owns Marvel, like it's just even though they put a certain amount of money into it. Um, they own so much of it that even if the secondary market isn't that strong, they get so much of the, the such a large of the percentage money. of the syndication dollar that it's worth it for them. So I have I have no idea, but I have no idea. Like I genuinely, the fact that that show survived to seven seasons is astonishing to me. Like genuinely astonishing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like there's – I mean I guess there's a runaway show, but there's no Legion show. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no Legion comic rather. That's right. Although I'll get to that in a bit. Um, <laughs> oh, my. Oh, Jeff, I read the Uncanny X-Men relaunch. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Ask me about that later. Um, <laughs> what other Marvel shows are there? Cloak and Dagger? There's no Cloak and Dagger. Oh, no, there is. There's a digital Cloak and Dagger comic. There was a digital that's, Cloak that, and Dagger. That's another of the digital first comics. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's, it's, it's really weird. Like Marvel's, Marvel Publishing's relationship with Marvel TV is really strange to me. Mm-hmm. Well, who knows? Maybe there was a, a, a fracturing after, uh, the Inhumans, which really seemed like everyone was going to double down on that, both publishing and TV, and everyone lost their shorts. Just everyone. Yeah, the Inhumans is, is just, uh, it's kind of amazing. Like, I, I, one day someone, it won't be me, but someone will do an oral history of what the fuck happened with Inhumans as a comic property. <laughs> and I can't wait to read it. Yeah. Yeah. Not wait. Did you read Death of the Inhumans? 
No, is it over? Is the event finally over? It's over. It's over. Mm-hmm. And it's just you may or may not remember that I said when it started that like if it was being the most cynical thing in the world, the most cynical thing you can do with death of the humans, it started with the death of Logjaw. Mm-hmm. And they did. Right. Right? And then when I saw that, I said, well, the most cynical thing you can do is then in the last issue, reveal that it's a fake out and Logshaw's fine. Mm -hmm. Guess what they did? (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it it was, it was just, it was terrible. It was genuinely, genuinely, like, devoid of creative inspiration, cynical, kind of bitter comic book. Mm Mm-hmm. It, it was it was just it was not good. So yeah, I'd love to see someone talk about the Inhumans as a comic book property. Because remember, like what 2013, 2012, you know, it was like this is going to be the net. Like this is going to be the ground zero for for the Marvel universe from now on. Oh yeah, and Matt Fraction's doing it. It's fucking Game of Thrones meets X Men, mm-hmm. and then like you know, Fraction's off it before the book even launches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, it, yeah, there's so much. Just there, there's probably you know an astonishing amount of gossip there. <laughs> oh, there's got to be nothing but. I mean, you know, I I feel like I feel like people have engaged in some levels of that, but but it really does. I'm sure it uh, it it it, bur- it burrows down pretty damn deep, you know. Um, but yeah, the, death in humans is honestly feels like. Not even like a payoff for fans of the characters, but like a fuck you from Marvel <laughs> to the characters. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it's it is it is it is weird. Like it it the amount of the sort of the amount of vehemence with that was, or so it seemed, really did have that feeling of like I don't understand. It felt like someone was being punished, but you couldn't really figure out who that was supposed to be. Like, okay, everyone who didn't buy this comic, we're going to kill off these characters now to teach you a lesson. Is like, oh, spoilers, they didn't. Oh, of course they didn't. Like, oh, so, good. so who, like, basically all the Inhumans anyone could recognize survived the comic. Mm-hmm. So, so like Black Bolt and Karnak and Medusa and yep, wow. and Lockjaw, yeah, yeah, they all made it through. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Wow. But nonetheless, like they basically killed off everyone else, so they can be like carnage. But the like the the few Inhumans that you recognize are still alive. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, of course, you know. I, 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 yeah, you know, simultaneously, of course, and also, oh, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it would have been better in a way if they had sort of done the cynically burnt earth, killed the characters, and then left it. Someone, of course, would inevitably resurrect them a few years down the road and hopefully would have come. I mean, I still can't. I, I wasn't paying attention, but I mean, you know, Karnak kills himself in the first issue of Matt Fraction's, uh, you know, aborted yep. run. And then. Two years later, he's running around in his own title written by Warren Ellis. And I'm like, this must have gotten explained somehow, but I can't imagine Yes, how. it did. <laughs> Karnak discovers the flaw in everything, remember? Yes. He discovered the flaw in death and came out of another human's mouth. 
it's amazing how fast you you really did take that from like oh that's kind of oh god (laughs) yeah he comes he comes he comes back from the afterlife at the end of the first charles sewell in human series Uh uh-huh yeah (laughs) that's that's like the big that's one of two big finales and the other one is like black bolt turns up again yeah because I've read these comics. That's the crazy thing. I know. That's the, that's the problem with Marvel Unlimited. Mm-hmm. The problem with Marvel Unlimited is eventually you will get curious and it's all there. <sighs> I just never read it fast enough or download it fast enough. I still haven't completed my reread of Master of Kung Fu despite like getting up into the high 80s. <gasps> and, I, and then I have, suddenly okay, – I, I have to ask. Are yes. you excited for the film? You know, the thing that I think is – interesting and listeners may not know but uh but it was announced that there is a screenwriter who's been assigned to adapt uh master kung fu for marvel uh and i i want to i want to make this distinction because this distinction is small but genuinely important thank you it wasn't announced it was reported oh even better even better. marvel have not officially announced it which means that if it never happens Marvel like doesn't have to be right. like we answered it or anything. They can just be like we never announced it, which is what happens. What's happened to like the majority of the Star Wars movies? Mm. Like Disney were like we didn't cancel anything because we never announced it. Other people reported it. We never said anything. Wow. Okay. Well, yes. So so yes. To me, the idea that like there's a screenwriter writing a movie and seemed like pretty thin. Uh, ground for celebration in the first place the fact that it was reported and not announced which is a beautiful distinction and i appreciate it uh seems to dilute that even further but but uh, even all that aside the shang chi is a problematic property you know because because of the Fu Manchu of it all or, exactly. or something else? Exactly. No, 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 no. 100, 110% precisely because of the Fu Manchu stuff. Because on the one hand, you end up in a situation where if you if you don't tie Shang-Chi to Fu Manchu, like I honestly feel that takes out a lot of oomph from the character. Certainly, it takes the original run and removes like an enormous swath of it on the other hand fu manchu is uh just as uh, like the flip side of iron fist the white savior yeah, in terms of exactly problematic imagery so okay so so i am i'm i have not read the original master of kung fu mm-hmm. but can you not simply remove fu manchu well, like you, can you is, is the concept of Shang-Chi is the son of a criminal overlord who has been trained to be an assassin. Is that not enough? Does it have to be Fu Manchu for it to work? I don't know. I mean, because part of me says, like, yeah, yeah, sure, that should work. And interestingly enough, I saw a few people who were like, I love Shang-Chi. Here's one of my favorite Shang-Chi panels. And it's something from, like, Jonathan Hickman's Avengers or... Well, that's just it. Like, they, you know, they brought him back for – I know he was in Hickman's Avengers, but for some reason I think that Brubaker was the one who brought him back for Secret Avengers. He was in Secret Avengers as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, but but there legitimately are, are, like, people who have never read the original run and only know him from his Avengers appearances. That's right and seem very excited. So I'm, I could well be 
uh, 110% off. But for me, every time I've tried revisiting that character, it does not seem the same. And in rereading Master of Kung Fu, I think there's two things at play that sort of help, although it kind of, again, is part of the reason why it, it presents a lot of translation problems. One of the things that I think Doug mentioned does really well when he takes over the title is um and what's amazing is reading them all at a go uh mench keeps his eye on the ball as far as shang chi's development of the character and of course shang chi's name is the rising and advancing of a spirit uh and shang chi is sort of in the process of becoming a grown-up in the course of these stories um in the sense of you know he was raised to believe everything that his father told him which was nothing but lies and then when it stands revealed that you know his father was raising him as an assassin and his father is in fact evil not a hero at all uh shang chi goes on his own journey ends up getting involved with uh nayland smith and the people at mi5 so one of the first things that I think really works for Shang-Chi back then and is part of what would make it work cinematically is tying it to Fu Manchu, a lot of the Fu Manchu-isms uh, end up really being adapted by a lot of Bond movie villains, which sure. Mench and Galassi then twist back into the book. So the idea of you having basically a James Bond, what seems like a James Bond setting with someone doing Kung Fu is pretty easily marketable. And then what raises that above the generic is the fact that Shang-Chi is a, is a guy who is not into the whole spy craft. It's basically he's, he's a reluctant James Bond. He does not want to engage in the games of deceit and death as Doug Mench has him say pretty much every other issue. And, uh, and you're like, well, that sounds terrible then, but it actually well, no, no, does. But, but yeah. I guess what I'm saying is like, that sounds like something you can easily do with a Fu Manchu. Uh, and also yes. you said like Fu Manchu raise, you know, could, okay. So go with me here. Right. If, what makes Master of Kung Fu, what raises Master of Kung Fu beyond like generic Kung Fu? Because it was literally created as a generic Kung Fu title. That's right. Like it was created because they couldn't get the rights to the Kung Fu TV show. Right. Um, if what raises it above like that genericism is Fu Manchu and the cultural awareness of Fu Manchu, can the Marvel, like can the Avengers connection, can the Marvel Studios connection, do like fill that gap for in a movie maybe i mean can the fact that he hangs around in the same universe as the avengers and you know who knows like runs into bucky mm -hmm. like in his first movie can that provide the cultural um lead-in or the, the the like the additional bump mm -hmm. that fu manchu provided in the comic well Oh, maybe. I mean, so the, 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 the second part of this that I was going to say is apart from 
Shang-Chi's sort of uh, frustration with the spycraft is the fact that he has rejected his father, but he still needs a dad. And so it's it's kind of like if you adapted Thor, but you left out Odin a little bit, you know, like. But again, couldn't, couldn't like any villain fill in the gap there, and especially like if we're looking at, you know, can Marvel fill in the gap? Right. What if Shang-Chi's dad is Red Skull? Uh, right, right. I think I think honestly what they're going to have to do is come up with a like a classic Chinese legendary figure, you know, and sort of pull a fake Chinese. Uh, so I don't know how to put it. So they're going to have to like Thor eyes it by coming up with like a, a Chinese mythological figure and then. And yeah, maybe. Insert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, or like, yes, exactly. Like, take one of the great ambiguous figures from like Legends of the Five Kingdoms or whatever, and and you know, take it a historical figure. Because one of the things that ends up working about Shang Chi, which is why I think the movie has to lean into it or do something about it, is is that in his own weird way, Shang Chi ends up going through the polite that a lot of immigrant kids have to go through in terms of this uncomfortable feeling of being neither fish nor fowl, like kind of like rejecting the culture of their father and having their father also reject them and being kind of hurt and weirdly pissed off about it. You know, like it doesn't sit easy. And I so I sort of feel like if you just make it like, oh, yeah, that's Sam Woe, the meanest, toughest crime lord who's, you know, of Manchu. Like, I just feel like that's maybe not going to deliver it. The weird part is, is that Fu Manchu is is this mythical figure and Shang-Chi has that that allows a lot of shortcuts for um for for the interactions of the characters yeah yeah well, like, make it exactly because because mm-hmm. the audience are so familiar with with fu manchu yeah that, that there's very little heavy lifting that the comic has to do in that case right exactly the problematic part is even if they somehow did get fu manchu again that's a super problematic really xenophobic you know creation and mm-hmm. so Unless you get someone who's incredibly talented. And again, if someone's incredibly talented, they can figure out a way to tell a super compressed story that turns, you know, Fu Manchu's dad, whoever it happens to be, into a badass um, and, and really manages to dramatize such that you can feel how mythically important that character is and then have... Shang Chi in there, and the, and the fact is, some of that account, some of that is casting too. You know, if they cast, I don't, I don't know who that figure would be that would be instantly recognizable for uh, most American and international audiences. But you know, if you cast like let's say Chow Yun Fat as whoever the Fu Manchu figure is, and you're like, oh, holy shit, you know, I mean, I'm sure everyone has their like. All the people who are huge Hong Kong fans are like, no, no, Gordon Liu, you idiot. Gordon Liu, you know, Jackie Chan, Jackie Chan. No, no, not Jackie Chan. Um, Donnie Yen. Actually, Donnie Yen would be great. You know? <laughs> <laughs> You've just talked 
poked yourself into the answer. Which I, is I've the sold best part it. To that. Donnie Yen. <laughs> the answer is. Uh, anyway, so so anyway, on the one hand, part of me was like, oh, interesting, and the other part of me is like, well, believe it when I see it. It it is a fine needle to thread, and honestly, after the success of Black Panther, I think that there are there's clearly people out there who are capable of threading that needle, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Whether or not the guy who got the the deal to, you know write the script on spec or for a, probably a staggeringly low amount of development money is going to be that person. We'll, we'll see. Well, but bear in mind, like Black Panther was, was scripted and then essentially rewritten by Ryan Coogler when he came on board. Right. So, and I think so, that's, so yeah. it, it, it ultimately come like the sure. very same thing could happen to Master of Kung Fu. Yeah, that's true. Is, is it just has to be there and attract just someone. Has, and attract the right people afterwards. Yes. Yes. You know, I mean, look at, I, I'm not sure if I'm making my argument or defeating my own argument here, <laughs> but like, well, no, Guardians of the Galaxy I was existed say. as a script before James Gunn came aboard. The vision, and then James Gunn, that's right. like, just, just took Nicole Perlman's script and, and was like, I'm rewriting parts and claiming all the credits. I took all the credit, one, believe me, totally different, just take my word for it, I am the visionary producer of Brightborn, so... uh Graham, did you see the Brightborn trailer? I can't believe that I'm the one maneuvering us into the Brightborn trailer? Yeah. No, I have, I literally have no idea what you're talking about. From from visionary director James Gunn, who is not visionarily directing? No, okay. I have not seen Brightborn. Bright- I'm, I'm literally looking up right now. Nope. Brightborn. It, it, it just just came out today, yeah. it looks like. Yeah. 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 Nah. I didn't. I didn't see it. Oh my God, ladies and gentlemen! I managed to beat a Hollywood Reporter to a cheesy fantasy film trailer announcement. Oh, this is—I want to say unprecedented, but you know, who cares? Anyway, it's Brightborn. <laughs> is Brightborn is basically the trailer that would make Mark Miller uh, shake his head and be like, mm, "Two on the nose, man. Two on the nose." Uh, I I don't know if that I don't know if that's even true. Have you read like Magic Order, (laughs) dude? I tell you what, I can cut this part out, but just watch that trailer right now. Really seriously? Yeah, sure. Okay, I'm loading it up. Bright burn. What is really funny about this is I had to watch that Avengers trailer so many times, like. (laughs) But honestly, like I load up YouTube and it's like, here are 27 people analyzing the Avengers trailer, and I'm like, no. Yeah, boy. Oh, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm watching right now, Jeff. This is great. Make sure it's entertaining listening for you. This is awesome. I wish I could share the audio so you could hear. I like know. Like you, you know what? Mm-hmm. Nope. There's there's the, the Man of Steel shot. Mm-hmm. It just says producer James Gunn. It doesn't say visionary producer at all. Wow, this is this really feels like the Man of Steel trailer. Mm-hmm. Is it meant to? I swear to God, this is honestly like the Man of Steel trailer. Director of Guardians of the Galaxy. Here you go. Yep. Oh no. <laughs> oh, he should sue. <laughs> Holy shit. Mm-hmm. Oh no. Uh huh. Yep. This is this uh. is. And also, it's apparently written by Mark Gunn and Brian Gunn. Yep. Yeah, like his brother and cousin, or maybe both his brothers. I'm not sure. Oh, no. <laughs> like, it, 
This is really, really amazing. Isn't it? I am I am in shock. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, this is kind of what – I'm so glad I get to hear this reaction in real time because, of course, <laughs> when I saw this, I was like, man, I can't wait to talk to Graham about this one. Ah, oh, isn't that something? I am – I. it's still going on. Jeff. Oh, yeah. We're, it's a very long trailer. Still, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm impressed by how much it ripped off the Man of Steel in the first half and then – is like Max Landis's worst nightmare yeah, afterwards. Exactly, exactly. Again, Mark Miller and Max Landis both being like, "Oh, mm, uh, dude. right." But but yeah, Mark Miller and Mark Landis, Max Landis are both watching this, going, "Shit, yes, I could have done this." Yes, yes, I was too subtle. Fuck me. Exactly. What if I had done? Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Oh no! Well, yeah. like, we just got to the logo. Is there going to be a post credit bit? Yep. No, it's no. no is there that is. it? Oh, okay. Yep. No, there's not. Okay. That's terrible. <laughs> That's legitimately terrible. <laughs> oh man! If it wasn't fact that that will be so boring to listen to, I would say that you should leave that in. <laughs> I'm gonna have little really bits and pieces because the parts of you being oh no are just like gold, gold. Oh man, that's. That's really bad. Yep. Like, that's genuinely impressive. Because at first I was like, oh, that's really like Man of Steel. And then, very, like, I, I was like, they're honestly just ripping off Man of Steel, like, intentionally. Right. Like, they, they've got the same music. They've got the same logo treatment. Mm-hmm. Like, the, they're, they're very – and then I was like, oh, but they're doing Superman. And that was the point, honestly, when I realized that they're actually doing Superman, that my heart sank. Mm-hmm. And Jeff, it just keeps kept sinking. Yes. That, that. <laughs> it's that true. Was, okay, so really, I'll try and bring this back in for editing for, for the listeners. Listeners, uh, so I, I brought up Brightborn, which <laughs> Graham had not seen the trailer of, which means chances are good you haven't either. Uh, I'm well, going to put it up be, in the show fair, notes. To be fair, it's literally like it was released uh, at like midday Pacific on Saturday when we're recording. Which is amazing to me. I didn't realize because, of course, when I come across this. Well, no, stuff... but there's there's something there's something coming. Uh, there's there's like a, a, a not a convention, but like a trade show or something mm-hmm. that's happening right now because everyone was expecting the Spider-Man trailer to drop today. Oh, really? Because because that's also being screened somewhere as a result of of this convention going on. Mm. Like there's footage of other movies, so it, it's probably came out as a res, as a result of that. But yeah, yeah. Jeff, first <laughs> of all, it's true. I didn't even know that movie existed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, before you brought it up, and I was a happier person before I knew that movie. <laughs> and I'm glad that you listened to me watch it in real time. That was the that was terrible. Yeah, yeah. So listeners, uh, like I said, I'll have it. I'll have it in the show notes so you can check it out. Essentially, James Gunn is producing a movie written by his brother and or maybe his other brother or his cousin that is that sort of brilliantly in its bald faced like when you take pastiche and just turn it into. Copyright oh, it's not even pastiche. Infringement-y. It's, it's, it yeah. is. Mm-hmm. It is 100%. What if we take the origin of Superman yeah. and, and very specifically reference Man of Steel Yep. and then just go, bah, fuck it. Like, no, no, we'll, we'll just use it entirely. He's a villain. Yeah. 
Let's see. And so, so instead of having him grow up, and this is the part that I think is sort of genius, is the idea that that this couple who finds an alien child and raises them as their own, and he begins to manifest strange powers, also ends up apparently being a psychopath who's turning into who is obsessed with becoming a supervillain, and you see him beginning to wreak havoc with his superpowers, sort of takes the um currently semi in vogue evil child genre uh of the super ha- of supernatural horror movies and then mixes it with the superman origin such that it's going to be elizabeth banks who's a good actress as the brave ma kent who has to deal with the fact that her son is stop her son who is a super powered monster again it's the sort of thing that i'm just like it's uh it's 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 a film for people who saw like m night Shyamalan's uh split and go you know what i i like the idea of a shitty horror movie ripping off superheroes you could rip off superheroes a bit more yep yep or those people who read mark miller's nemesis and were like but what if it was superman who was evil but like superboy like, what about evil Superboy? So. Exactly. Why? No, oh, you've just you accidentally like tripped one of my switches, which is the whole. <laughs> no, but you know, there's a traditional like you know superheroes, but realistic, and that always leads to someone be like, but imagine you were Superboy. What teenage boy wouldn't go immediately go corrupt and start killing people? Right. And you're like, lots. Yeah, like tons. <laughs> I yeah, I feel like you're saying a lot about you yep. right now and not a lot about the human condition. No, no, exactly. They're always like, I mean, come on, you know, to only be natural. They'd be using their X-ray vision to peep on ladies and then, and then you know, super inseminating them at high speed. You know, like regular people would if they could. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, no. No. No, no they wouldn't, but oh, let's just never have this conversation again. Exactly. Yeah. So – Brightborn, look for it in theaters or quite possibly the Star's original movie channel coming soon. Because I do yeah, I was gonna say, it says it's like Memorial Day, and part of me is like Memorial Day on YouTube Red because <laughs> that that does not look like a good theaters. Actually, it would be great considering we were talking about ABC and Marvel. If ABC's like, I've just purchased this movie for $17 million, and now I will be showing it five nights a week. And our salute to... It'll be like like when they did Inhumans, and they're like, we've made a partnership with IMAX, and IMAX have given us extra money for the pilot episodes. And you can just imagine IMAX being like, look, they said they were Marvel. I didn't realize they weren't the people who make the movies. (laughs) I didn't realize it was Jeff Loeb. I didn't we, realize we it was Jeff Loeb. Very early. Also, it was called Brightborn when I bought it, and they changed the name to Spooperman is Awful uh, afterwards. So, <laughs> Exactly. Clark. Oh, I, I can't say it. You all know where I was going to go with that one, but I can't actually bring myself to do it in case anyone's insulted. I don't know where you were going to go with this. This is the sad part. Jeff, what if you changed a vowel in Kent? Oh, <laughs> right. I'm so slow. Like Mark Miller's listening to this being like, Jeff, I was way ahead of you on this one. <laughs> exactly. He's like, that's the pitch for Netflix and they turned it down. Exactly. 
I'm still pissed that they won't let me do Clint News Magazine with Kevin Smith hosting. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Smith's too busy doing DC Daily. That's right. He got – what does he do? On exactly. DC he's not really he, – he, he hosted like the first show and then like fucked off. No, really. Like he, his daughter is one of the hosts. Oh, that's very sweet. So that's probably so. So that's probably why he. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably how he did the, the first one. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's uh, bless their hearts. So he's still available. He's, st- he's still he's available. Batman, Batman. He's still available. Mark, <laughs> there's still a chance. <laughs> Go for it, buddy. Go for it. Those Netflix dollars aren't going to spend themselves. Uh, yeah, uh, Graham, I feel like, I feel like I took us down a dark path, a dark cynical path. No, I like this dark path. You know what I do want to ask though? Yes. You said that we were going to talk about news stories and I want to know what news stories you think we're going to talk about. Uh, well, honestly, I, I of course wanted to talk about Daredevil from the context of, you know, Marvel, maybe they think about doing a season four comic book. Would that work okay. or wouldn't? But also the huge announcement about Shonen Jump, which is, I think, pretty big news. It is pretty big news and, and very, very, very exciting. Yeah. And immediately launched, like, my favorite bad faith arguments on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I saw so many people be like, this is why Marvel and DC just don't get it. Why don't they put all their material online for free? <laughs> And it was like, really? Seriously? <laughs> yeah, I saw, I saw a lot of that. A lot of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But no, it's very, it's very, very exciting. Um, it's, it's enough to make me think, oh, maybe I should sample this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, uh, I think so too. I think so too. Wait, because... wait, we, we should actually yes. explain what the news is. Yes. The, the, the plan is, that uh, Shonen Jump is on December 17th going to be offering. Now, and this is interesting because the article that I'm reading on Engadget is different from my understanding of the way that it was announced uh, in the announcement video. My understanding of the announcement video, and you can fact check me on this, Graham, is that starting on December 17th, Viz is going to be releasing chapters of their most popular series online for free the same day and date that they drop on um, it, that they would are published in Japan. So it's simultaneous publication of U.S. and Japanese manga um, for free through, again, their app and their website. In addition... People who pay a buck ninety nine a month will get access to basically everything that's shown. And this is where I'm not quite sure. Basically, they call it the 10,000 chapters of English language back catalog. And I don't know if that means that they're talking about everything that Shonen Jump Alpha has published up till then, if they're talking about essentially... All of, for example, One Piece being available to you digitally for only $2 a month. But again, the idea being that you, it is actually that, 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 that they are, Shonen Jump is taking a huge step forward to more or less try and, um, 
defeat destroy pirates. Yeah, destroy scanlations <laughs> yeah. and piracy sites by offering free day, day and date stuff with the idea of bringing people under the Shonen Jump umbrella and getting them to invest in memberships. That's pretty huge. Um, it's it's an enormous change. Shonen Jump is, uh, I mean, to me, of course, it's actually a sign of. I think how worried they are about the decline of manga sales more in Japan yeah. than than here. Well, but here's the thing: it's it's region locked. As far as I know, this is only happening in America. Uh, the video that I saw made it sound like the chapters were being maybe they were being released in Japanese and English on the same day, and it's still region locked in America. I don't know. I definitely got the sense that the way it was announced, uh, because. Wasn't there reports, and this is this is where people who actually know about manga and the manga world are going to start laughing at me, but weren't they starting to have problems with essentially reverse scanlation, where essentially there were chapters that were get coming out being retranslated into Japanese and released in Japan before the original release date of the Japanese chapters, because somebody was intercepting the chapters that were being sent to viz for translation and then releasing them. Does that sound familiar? I, I, I honestly, I have never heard anything like that, but also it would not surprise me. I know. Right. I mean, we're living, we're living in a world where Doomsday Clock issue eight got released by like the Russian authorities. <laughs> so <laughs> did you know that? Or not? No. What's what the hell are you talking about? Graham? Okay, so Dooms- very quick aside, Doomsday Clock Issue 8 features Vladimir, Vladimir Putin. Mm-hmm. Because, like, the Vladimir Putin. Like, showing on panel, the whole thing. Right. Um, and named as such. Um, because, and this is all, this is all coming from sources not inside DC. I mm-hmm. say this very clearly for two reasons. One, I don't want anyone in DC to get into trouble for something they actually haven't done. And two, the information might be wrong. I might be getting lied to here. Okay. But the version I was told was uh, Warner Brothers Legal wanted to essentially get permission from uh, from the Russian authorities to release this. Hmm. So they sent a finished version of the comic to the Russian authorities uh-huh. for review before release. And because of, because of that, for the first time ever, an entirely finished copy of Doomsday Clock was available on pirate sites before it was actually released. Good. So it could Christ. so it could only have come from the Russian authorities. Wow. Yeah. So it's crazy. It's a crazy world we live in. So I have never I've never heard the Shonen Jump thing, but the scanlation uh, thing. But also, it honestly would not surprise me. Right. Uh. So so yeah. I mean, like I said, there's certain things here, like this article that I'm looking at in Engadget says. Uh, um, that readers willing to part with $2 every month will receive access to these chapters on the same day that they're released in Japan, as well as access to the backlog of Shonen Jump's 10,000 cha- plus chapter English back. I didn't think that that was, again, that, that I may be misunderstanding. The great thing is, again, as everyone knows, if you follow the show notes, Jeff loves a good YouTube link. So in addition to the trailer for Brightborn, which I'm going to call a Wait What exclusive. Hilariously, uh, I just saw Kevin Church on Twitter complain about Brightburn. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and I was like, oh, okay then. <laughs> what if Superman but a killer is so cheap and cynical he wrote, surprised the one prominent comic writer isn't involved? <laughs> oh my god. Ah, yes, we're all thinking the same thing. That yes, is too we funny. all have our ideas. I did quickly rewatch that Shonen Jump video, and it's a little ambiguous. From what I can tell, the guy speaking is very clear in saying that these chapters are being released for free the same day as they're in Japan. Uh, and, which they are. Yeah. yeah, and 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 that that that's and it's talking about the success of getting free manga out there to to get readers. So they really make it sound like the dollar ninety nine a month membership is to support mangaka, as he puts it. And so what it is is mm-hmm. th- the previous three episodes are free mm-hmm. at any given point, and after that everything's subscription. Hmm. But the subscription is one ninety nine, which is super cheap. Oh yeah, per month it's a dollar ninety nine a month. That's ridiculously yeah. inexpensive. Like that's that's I mean that's. Yeah. Literally half the price of a comic from Marvel or DC. Yep. Yeah. You know, I I I am uh, I'm really curious how this is going to work out. Mm-hmm. Um, for a couple of reasons. One, what is going to drive people to like a, a lot of people are going to sign up when it's launched, right? Mm-hmm. What is going to drive new people to sign up all the time? Or is there hope just that so many people are going to sign up that you can have a really small number of subsequent signups? Right. Because one ninety nine really is not that much money. Well, I think that's I think that's part of it. it, it at one ninety nine, you've you're hope you're I think you're hoping that you're going to get huge numbers, and I would not surprise me. I would kind of hope that Viz would have people either officially or unofficially start being on thread you know reddit threads 4chan threads whatever and being like you can afford a dollar 99 a month you know sure but but at the same time like correct me if i'm wrong shonen jump is is going away as a magazine right i believe that is correct i believe like shonen... this is replacing the print magazine uh, here in America, I believe that yeah, is the case. Yes, yeah, yes, exactly. It's replacing Shonen the the Shonen Jump Weekly and Shonen Jump Alpha. So the idea is, and in fact, I was looking on the Viz website. They're talking about how how those subscriptions are getting converted, which is like, yes, it's being you're being converted, and they're also being given three free months for the the inconvenience of it. So I don't remember. If sure, surely else. more than three free months. You can't tell me a subscription is only six dollars. Uh, no, 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 uh, uh, no, no, no. I well, wait. No, I'm I'm saying that like they get their subscription is being carried over, so that instead of you know, um, if they had a, if they have nine months left in their subscription, they'll have nine months of the new Shonen Jump. But yeah, but I guess what I'm saying is like, how much does Shonen Jump go for if you are subscribed to the print magazine? Is it only two dollars a month? Because if I, for example, subscribed to a magazine and the magazine was $4 a month mm-hmm. and I had six months left and I got told we're going to digital, it's $2 a month, we're going to give you $6, we're going to give you six months. Right. I'd be pissed. Like, I'd want a year. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean... Uh, do you see what I'm saying? Like, I do I, see I do see I, what you're I saying. I kind of feel like they're running away with people's money in that case. Yeah, I'm sure that they've made elements of restitution, but, but yeah, you might be right. Um 
in the sense of they're paying more than other people. But I don't think that they're I mean, that's the problem is, is that I feel like Viz was always offering sweetheart deals like I don't I think I, you know, I subscribed for like three or four years. I don't think I ever paid more than I want to say 1999 a month a year. Maybe I paid, you know, uh, maybe maybe I paid 24.99 or 29.99, but I'm pretty sure it was just 20 bucks. I wonder if I can find that. I'm never going to be able to find that receipt in my Gmail, but let's see. But but you know that's the, the other thing that fascinates me about this is I feel this is honestly something you do when your product is failing, for want of a better way of putting mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So, I mean, for all the this is really bold, mm-hmm. it also strikes me as like a last-ditch attempt. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it, the reason, you know, for all the people being like, you know, if Marvel and DC really wants people to read the comics, they'd do this. No, they wouldn't. They'd lose so much money. Well... <laughs> like, they'd lose so much money. Well, because because of the way that that Marvel and DC they're set up on a completely different economic system. Sure, but but that that's the second part of this. Mm-hmm. Like, Shonen Jump is doing this to a secondary market, right? And and I think that and, and, and a, a secondary market that let's be honest probably doesn't make them that much money, right? So you can you can afford to be quote unquote bold right. with that because you're not really giving anything up, and the possibility. I was going to say the, possible, the upside is vast, but is it really vast? Like, what's the hope? What's the end result here? Because it can't just be that they hope that people are going to subscribe to the manga and that's it. Like, subscribe to the system and that is it. Are they hoping that people are going to pick up the print collections? Well, I I think I think they have to look at... Uh, if you ask me, it would seem that there's a number of factors that they are looking at. We, in that sense... We are a test market. Like I said, Japan sales are going down if they're not doing this in Japan, which sounds like they're not because I thought they were and then rewatched the video. And clearly, no, I, I'm I, no I, I think it's just English. Yeah, which makes sense because that's I mean, that's like a huge mega move. So which is be ridiculous anyway. Um, but but sales are kind of down, slowly drifting down over in Japan. And there is. America's a nice little testing market. If you push all in digitally for a low rate, do does everyone embrace it or do you only see a slight tick up in numbers? If everyone does embrace it, do your print sales of the collections go down as you point out? Like these are things that are, you know, it's there's some gamble and there's there's some risk here. And like I, you said, I, I, yeah, I think I think there's a lot of risk. I wouldn't be surprised if this ends up being a very bad idea for them. Ah, uh, we'll see about bad idea. We'll see because part of me is like you said, if if Shonen Jump Alpha, I mean, I think honestly, if Shonen Jump Alpha was making money, they wouldn't do this. Well, uh, yes, I think that I think by and large that's true, but I also think that there's that idea of. I think they have a very strong sense of what the numbers are. And they're like, if we can convert whatever the number on the chalkboard is, you know, but I mean, clearly I think that they're like, it's, if we can convert 30% of the Scanlation pirates to actual paying customers, this is, which is, I think part of what they were trying to do with Shonen Jump Alpha in the first place is like, you know, stop the cannibalization, you know, get some sort of profit out of 
current chapters. And, and there is this weird thing of the scanlation market is a problematic, you know, it's not just all bad. You know, there's a lot of people who discover material, you know, scan, yeah, scan exactly. letters. It's it's the, the thing that no one ever really wants to talk about about piracy, which is you, you it's possible to convert the people reading the pirate com, pirate comics to the, the real deal. Yeah, exactly. You know, you can find people who r- respond hugely to the stuff that's being scanlated can mean that you can actually have a marketplace like there's a genuine market in the region for that work that you would have overlooked otherwise, you know, as so I, there's there's a lot there you know that i think they've had to keep their eye on and of course the japanese market with uh i'm going to screw up the pr- pronunciation but you know they've always turned a blind eye to the Dushinishi uh publications which are basically fan publications uh with licensed characters in in other words gray market material mm-hmm. um so i think that they're like this I I do think that they're they're like this could be successful for us in terms of growing our awareness in the marketplace is what they say. I think honestly think that it's like they look at the numbers, they can look and see the down the numbers of what of of their material and they're like if we can just convert most of those, you know, if we can convert all of those readers, we'll just be sitting on tons and tons of money, which is part of why a buck ninety nine is definitely that entry point that you're like they have really got to be looking at at a lot of people. Yeah, it's sl- a lot of people slash. It wouldn't surprise me if there was some serious serious market testing going on with far- focus groups being like, okay, you know, how would you guys feel about paying two ninety nine a month for this or you know that kind of thing? And eventually they were like. Looks like a dollar ninety nine is the point where people kind of feel dumb putting up a fight about, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So because it's like you said, it's half the cost of a Marvel or DC comic. But that um, I usually see that number like people are like, if it's cheaper than a cup of coffee, you know. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm really curious. Um, the thing I keep thinking about with this is I wonder how Comicsology Unlimited support has worked for the publishers. Because to me, putting up a free chapter 72 mm-hmm. is less inviting to a new reader than putting up a free chapter one. Mm-hmm. And that's the Comixology Unlimited model. Yes. Like we'll make the like the first two volumes, collected volumes, free. Right. And then you have to buy the rest. And I'm wondering what the um, what the uptick, the uptick of that has been. And, and because Shonen Jump's methodology seems to me to work for existing fans mm-hmm. which you know again if you're going for just looking to translate the scanlation readers into paying customers right. fine right but there's two immediately obvious barriers to entry for newcomers one it's a, a dedicated app mm-hmm. and two it's like the current chapters mm-hmm so, and if you want to jump on board and know if you like the story or know what the story is about, you have to pay the admittedly low cost every month 
but you have to you have to pay for it. Um, so I'm I'm wondering I'm just wondering how this is going to work out. Well, we'll see. I mean, I do think again the the way that it's being presented makes me think that that's another reason why I think the goal is conversion of people already reading for free rather than quote unquote bringing in new readers. Although bringing in new readers at you know for a buck ninety nine a month that is that that's e- that's even less expensive than I than we're paying for than I pay for Comixology Unlimited every month. Sure. Or, for or Marvel Unlimited. Marvel Unlimited if you buy it in a year subscription, you know? So. Sure. But at the same time, I don't think either of them are really aimed at new readers either. And I think that... Uh, I think the Marvel Unlimited is honestly based at the lapsed reader or the person who watches the movies. Mm-hmm. I honestly do not know who Comixology Unlimited oh, is. Oh, I, I, I think Comixology Unlimited is is pointed towards Amazon, you know? Like, I think that it's, like, it gives them a lot of material to promote Prime reading stuff, uh, you know? And I, I think that it's just a, uh, I, I you know, it's, it's a little bit of a feather of the cap in Amazon slash it allows them tons and tons of data, whether or not they use it or can, can, you know, point at something. Somebody, someone like me who pays for a Comixology Unlimited subscription, every book that I download, how much I read of it, how far I read into it, in theory, that should allow them to really build some incredibly um, sophisticated data profile of me and or other weirdos like mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I'm curious how many things you read through Comixology Unlimited a month, would you say? Uh, I have to say not a lot. One of the things that is hilarious is I belong to Comixology Unlimited, Marvel Unlimited, uh, and of course have access to Hoopla, which is fine stuff. And I would say the majority of what I read is, uh, as you would know, Graham, uh, GIT core issues of Fantastic Four <laughs> and uh, and a lot of stuff that I buy on a weekly basis off of Comixology. That being said, um, I had heard forever about um, Vinland Saga, which uh, is a, a Viking manga published, uh, written by... Oh, by Makoto Yukimura, and it's published by Kodansha. And uh, mm-hmm. um, Manofsky, who I think uh, his Twitter account is Manofsky Article, who is uh, a guy who reads a ton of manga and writes very well about it, had has been talking about it as one of his favorite books of the year. Uh, and he actually published a little sequence uh, that I was like, oh, God damn, I've got to read this right now and i was going to go and like be like okay vinland saga for some reason i thought that they didn't have it digitally but i'm like no it's not only do they do they have it digitally but the entire first volume is is available through comiXology unlimited so that's great yeah so i'm actually like and the first volume is pretty substantial it's something like 469 pages so i'm like 300 pages into it and i'm loving it but that honestly i want to say that is the 
first thing that I've sort of borrowed from Comixology Unlimited. That's not true. I read all um, all all 18 volumes of Beck, Mongolian Chop Squad this year. Uh, mm-hmm. I started the Black Dahlia a- adaptation and didn't finish it. I started Seven Shakespeare's uh, and didn't get was busy reading Beck um, and things like whatever whatever um, there was that Deadpool anthology Deadpool um, comicsology original that I read and liked uh, hit reblog the co- is the only comicsology original that I think I've read so far oh how is it it's pretty good uh, it's it's not bad it's an anthology and mm-hmm. it's it's kind of a cute idea, uh, of course, but I think the problem with it is is that it kind of gets a little too repeti- repetitive too quickly because the for listeners, uh, it's it's an anthology of um, of web comics. Yeah, basically web comics that went viral. And it presents that comic, and then the creator gets a follow-up comic to talk about the reaction of it. And uh, so it's so it's a little bit like the origin of Marvel Comics of web comics in some ways, I guess. Um, and unfortunately, it falls into you know, needless to say, you can tell a lot of creators are very happy to both get the exposure and to get paid. Um, but some of their anthologies, because it's tied so tightly to that topic, it's a lot of people like kind of walking around shrugging, being like, well, life goes on, I guess. You know what I mean? Because they're sort of like, it totally changed my life. And of course, it didn't change my life at all. You know, a lot of the time that be so which would be fine, except it is a it's kind of a oh, yeah, it's 133 pages and feels much, much longer for an anthology, mm-hmm. for whatever mm-hmm. reason, there was a point where I was like, wait, I'm only halfway through. So I, I'm still about 10 pages away from finishing all of which is to say comiXology unlimited. I do not download a lot. As you know, I don't, I, I don't, I do not maximize my return on either comiXology unlimited or Marvel unlimited. Um, and it will not surprise me if Shonen jump, Shonen Jump is very much a $2. I'm totally willing to support this for a year. Exactly. Um, I, uh, I might not use it, but I, I believe in it. Exactly. Exactly. I think that it is something that I very, very much want to succeed in and will do that, even though, I, you know, um, I really am enjoying uh, part of me is like, uh, you know, my dreams are that they'll that it'll be enough of a hit or they'll see enough success with it that they're like, yeah, you know, uh, it looks like it might be skewing older and maybe we should start doing some more of the, you know, more seinen type material, you know, and it's like the adult adult stuff, you know, because I'm sort of like, yeah, there's some great stuff in here, but there's also like, I'm just tired of shonen comics i read a i read a ton of them there's a lot of good ones i'm sure there's stuff that i'll start looking at and be like oh holy shit they have x in there but you know i was really aware my last year of really really reading shonen jump alpha where i'm like 
oh man, I, you know, time and again, the series that I was interested in got canceled, like, you know, after six months and the other ones kept going strong. And I'm like, I'm like, geez, it's almost as if I don't have the same tastes as a 12 year old Japanese boy. This is kind of frustrating. <laughs> I you think that all the time to be fair. I do. To be fair, that thought goes through my head about fifteen times a day. So, <laughs> yeah, I I'm, uh, I I ask about Comicsology Unlimited because I'm never tempted per se, but I've noticed over the last month or so mm-hmm. that I have been reading a lot more Hoopla and mm-hmm. uh, Marvel Unlimited. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the first, I I. I Previously, we thought of Marvel Unlimited more or less as a business expense. Mm-hmm. It's great to go and, and research things. Like the the Avengers trailer was was dropped like the day before as we record this, and it's got like the really generic title. And I did a story for THR, which was literally every time the title Endgame has been used by in a Marvel comic before, <laughs> nineteen times by the way. Wow. Um, but part of that was like literally try and find each each issue on, on Marvel Unlimited and, and like reading through it so I knew what it was about. Mm-hmm. And so for things like that, it's great. Mm-hmm. But I never really thought of it as like, you know, beyond like even Baxter building. Mm-hmm. Uh, beyond that, like really think of it as like, oh, this is something I used to read for pleasure. Right. Um, and I've been doing more of that lately. And I've been doing, I've actually been doing a lot of Hoopla lately. Mm. Uh, in large part because I like re- reading collections. Because mm-hmm. it's a chunk. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like Marvel Unlimited is actually kind of annoying because you get 20 pages and then you have to go on to the next file. Uh, yeah, totally. And there's some there's something really good about reading like 300 pages at once. Yeah. You know, or not at once, but like you know, reading it like you read a book. Yes. Um, which which I really like. It's funny. I've got DC Universe as well, and I I I've I've not used that nearly as much as I probably should, given the material that's on there. Because mm-hmm. there's a bunch of material on there that I do want to read, or or honestly reread right uh but i just i just don't use it that much mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well just out of curiosity what what material is that because i feel like we chatted somewhat briefly at least on twitter at one point when someone was asking i i was not especially strongly driven to sign up for dc universe for the comics here's the thing i don't think i don't think anyone is really going to sign up to dc universe for the comics mm-hmm. um the comics strike me as kind of an afterthought or support system for the media that's on there. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you have 24 issues of the 1990s Hawk and Dove series. Right. But, like, you have 12 issues of Animal Man, and it's the Jeff Lemire series. Yes. Yeah. Like, none of the Grant Morrison stuff's on there. Mm-hmm. You only have one issue of All-Star Superman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's, it's very weird. Like, there's a chunk of Aquaman on there right now. Like, the 1990s series? Mm-hmm. Like, 75 issues on there. Yeah. Right. But at the same time, there's like, how many? There's only, yeah, there's one issue of 52. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, the so first it, four it, issues of Crisis on Infinite Earths or something. Yeah. Here's the funny thing. There's the entire run of Batman and the Outsiders. Yes. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. But again, that's because Outsiders ties in with the Black Lightning show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, it's weird. Like, it, it's very frustrating for that. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's it's nowhere near Marvel Unlimited, and it's I don't honestly think it's intended to be a Marvel Unlimited. I don't think that I, it I, is I, either. Although we'll see. I mean, certainly Marvel Unlimited. No, I, I, is, I, I, yeah. it, I really don't think it is. I, yeah. I think 
that's very much not what is on anyone at, at DCU's mind. Right. But it's it's, it's you know it's fun as a sampler. Mm-hmm. It's fu- honestly it's fun as a sampler sort of things to then go look on Hoopla for the collection of. <laughs> no, really. Like, no, you know, I get you know, it. You know, I, I I quite liked. You know, I'd forgotten how much I liked this. You know, whatever well, Titan like, series, and right. then you're like, oh, they've, they've got the Titans collection on on Hoopla. I'll read that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I definitely but remember it, that it, about it, it, Batman it, and the Outsiders. The collections being yeah. on Hoopla, for example. Yeah, and oh, well, that's just it. Like, there's more stuff on DC Universe mm-hmm. than there is on, on Hoopla. Oh, really? the, Well, Hoopla only has the two collections that are in print, mm. which are like issue. 20 maybe and there's all 32 issues on uh, uh, universe um but yeah i mean you know it's things like you have all five issues of the g willow wilson vixen series mm-hmm. and there's legends of tomorrow uh, tie-in mm-hmm. um and, and there's a there's honestly like a chunk of titans content mm-hmm. on there or titans and teen titans but it's it, yeah. It's not it's not a, a complete reading experience for anyone really. Right, right. Well, that that's that is a shame. I mean, I'm not surprised, but at the same time, it's it is. Uh, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, again, the I- irony is is like, yeah, I would sign up for that, you know, and I would still basically be spending the majority of my time reading the books that I'm paying money for every week to buy. And every once in a while, turning around and, um, you know, sitting down and occasionally reading freebies. Because I have. I definitely have read. I think this year has been the year where between Master of Kung Fu on Marvel Unlimited, um, uh, Beck and Battle Angel Alita, basically the Kodansha um you know, deal with Comixology Unlimited that has a lot of their volumes on there. Um, and then Hoopla, I swear I've got stuff. I'm trying to think, like, I know I don't have anything there currently, but I've got older stuff. Let me see if I can see my... Oh, I, I read, like, all of um, Night uh, Night's Fall and Night Quest and Night Yeah, Zen. yeah, I want to. I, I started reading those. Like all and, all yeah. that shit's there, mm-hmm. and you really can, like, in you know, for like five or six collections, read. I mean, it's an exceptional amount of comics. Yeah, yeah, there really is. Like it, it is. It, Hoopla, if if you happen to have it in your area, is a is a better DC Unlimited than than the DC Universe app. Yeah, it's that's that's entirely true. Mm-hmm. There there is more, probably more DC comic content that it is complete mm-hmm. put away on Hoopla than there is on on DC. Yeah, yeah, I think that is I think that is true. It, it, I we've we've sung the praises of Hoopla before on this, but I just want to say again, like if you like uh, DC stuff and you're looking for like a Marvel limited for DC, mm-hmm. Hoopla is honestly fucking great if your library has it you really should sign up yeah yeah and it is entirely free which is um it's so funny like maybe a year and a half ago or something uh you know somebody who listened to the podcast had asked me what i would recommend for for a comic streaming service and i and i ran down all of them and i let i listed hoopla last because uh listeners had had only just recently introduced me to it 
And I was like, oh, yeah. And then there's Hoopla, which is a good service that has this and this and this and this. And it's free. And the person's like, oh, well, I'll be looking into that then, which makes sense. Like not mm-hmm. not not everyone is as ridiculous with their with their money as I am. So. Um, well, no, so how much is Comics Television Limited? It's ten dollars a month, right? Is it? I thought it was like six ninety nine a month. I have it's, to say, I, 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 I'm honestly just going off the fact that like Kindle Unlimited is ten. I, w- I just assumed it was the same. Uh, maybe it's eight ninety nine. Hold on. You know, it's one of those weird things where I get billed for it, but they don't actually send me. It's five ninety nine a month. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Jesus, Jeff. Good job. Yeah, I didn't think I was like, yeah, it's like six dollars a month. It is weird that they don't send you. I don't get my little little billing notice for it every month when they bill me. I, I wonder if that's because I paid a yearly rate. I don't. I do not know. In any event, <laughs> five ninety nine is is not bad. I do like. Um, if you don't have access to Hoopla, uh, Comicsology Unlimited, uh, I think is is actually a, a pretty good deal. The the publishers do continue to push a lot of product onto it, and there's not a lot of product that is being pulled off of it, if you know what I'm saying. And, and honestly, the more that Comixology puts original content out, because mm-hmm. all of it is part of that, like it, I think it becomes a more valuable deal. Yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too. Uh, so, yeah, we'll we'll see. Uh, of course, if you, you also get the coupons for the free issues, and there, once a month there's usually a... In fact, there was a save, spend $20 and save $10, you know, kind of thing that allowed me to, to sew up my wish list and, and get that second digital Tomb of Dracula collection for super cheap. So, <sighs> so Graham, we should talk more about comics that we're reading, have read. I mean, it is kind of, a, 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 it is sort of, I, like I said, I feel unencumbered uh, by having to talk about the best of the year. I can just talk about stuff that I've read and liked or stuff that, you know, we've read. I, 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 about. I feel like I should, because I mentioned it very quickly, go down like the, the incomplete list I have. The, the list, list of things that I'm working on for, mm-hmm. for best of year mentions. Brazen, the Penelope Baggio book um, of like four page uh, biographies of of important women in history mm. is it's just a joy. It's it's a really funny, fun, educational book. It's it's really a, a great great book. It's uh, Woman World, which I'm fairly sure I talked about in this before. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a John Quartle book, and I completely cannot remember who did it. Um, but it's just again. Very amusing, very funny. It's the uh, the world after all men die off, mm-hmm. and and women are left, and honestly are just like much better at everything. Yes, <laughs> um, but uh, it's also very funnily neurotic, if that makes sense. Like it, it's not, it's by no means a, like a a gender polemic in the slightest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, Dalywal. Does that sound right? Yes, mm-hmm. that sound, that does sound right. Berlin, the Jason Lutz collection. Yeah. The kids. Uh, it's just, I mean, it's just staggering. It's its just a breathtaking comic. It, it's, I, I've still not finished it, but every single time I read a little bit more and go further, I am i am floored mm-hmm. by, by just how good it is and how good it is, like, immediately. Like, it's not even a book that, like, ramps up to greatness. It's a book that, like, within the first five pages, you're like, this is 
just an astounding piece of work. Mm-hmm. This is a masterful piece of work. This this is it, it's it's amazing, and I I honestly like feel ashamed that I had not read it before this collection mm. because it's it's just it's so wonderful. It, mm-hmm. It's really really incredible, uh, Mister Miracle. I th- I think the more I think about it, the more I think did uh, make the landing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and honestly, this getting back to what we were talking about before, even if it hadn't, mm-hmm. I had such strong reactions to earlier issues and, and things in there mm-hmm. that I think it would be my list anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, Immortal Hulk mm-hmm. is is just wonderful. Is 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 easily the best Marvel book out right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also is such a new take on the Hulk, which is respectful of everything that went before. And yet, you know, much like Alamore Swamp thing feels like it, the Hulk can never really be the same afterwards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm loving it. I, I, I still, and every issue seems surprising. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Like, it, it, it seems a, a very restless book in the very best way. Mm-hmm. Um, My Boyfriend is a Bear. The, ah, yes. the only book. Mm-hmm. Is, it's just super, like, it's, it sounds offensive to be like, it's super cute. But it is, it's super cute. Like, I really, it's, it's, uh, I really liked it. It's, it's a really, um, heartwarming. I, I, I find myself at a loss to explain why I liked it other than like, I liked it. It made me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it, it's it's kind of weirdly like got underneath whatever critical faculties I had. Mm-hmm. You know, I did read Sabrina, the Drona Quarterly book that you loved. Yes, and what did you think? I it kind of messed me up. I loved it, but it really like I was like oh 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 mm-hmm. afterwards. Mm-hmm. Like it it was really powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was it was great, but it was it it, it really did like it disturbed me in in good ways. Mm-hmm. But it's it's yeah yeah there's a lot there, but it's yeah it was it was everything you said, and yet somehow I was still very um, surprised and upset by it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I, I really was shaken up. After reading it, um, it this is uh, speaking to a book that came out last year. Um, I told you about reading the Eleanor Davis book when I was doing the the Eisner's reading, right? Um, you know, Bike in a Road. Uh, you well, I, let's put it this way: you, I, I don't doubt that you did tell me because I know that you like her a lot, but I do not remember the specific anecdote. Uh, well, I, basically, like I read it, and it was one of those things that, like, I had this amazing. Uh, like I, I was like, everyone should read this. Everyone like this is amazing. That, you, everyone, you know, right? Oh, ah. um, <laughs> but it was this weirdly like, I feel that I have become jaded to an extent. Mm-hmm. So even something like the Immortal Hulk, which I really like, or Miss America, which I really like, like I like with this weird guarded sense of it's amazing. And then I feel like I have to like explain it yeah, or like qualify that or justify or it. Mm-hmm. And Sabrina, much like me in a bike on a road, is something like I 
didn't feel like I had to, but also I couldn't. Mm. Okay. Like my my descriptor for both is just like you have to read it. Yeah. Like it's it's this is this is it's funny because I I feel like saying anything about Sabrina other than like it's very powerful is doing it to service. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I also can't fully explain why other than like it left me shaken up. Yeah. You know it's it's interesting. I, I'm so glad to hear you say this and talk about it because I follow uh, Kim O'Connor on Twitter. Uh, she tweets under the handle. Sh- excuse me shallow brigade and she is uh very sharp and very acerbic and has done a great job um taking the piss out of i think sort of the a lot of the implicit and inherent biases of the indie cartooning world establishment whether that's um, some of the reviews at the Comics Journal, whether that's people fawning over Chris Ware or Spiegelman. Um, and she really thought that... Uh, she hated it. She did. She did. And has come back to talk about how she thinks that it is... Uh, Sabrina is absurdly b- banal and obvious and, and um, sort of ridiculously male centric and essentially like the, the like only out of touch men are going to be impressed with Sabrina, you know, basically because it's just the work of like, you know, Oh, newsflash, you know, white guy cartoonist is terrified by the internet news at 11. And she's been doing this well enough that I was very much kind of like, huh, I mean, I guess I am an out of touch well, white guy. But... Well, that's that's just it. Like you say that, and I'm like, I am an out of touch white guy. Yeah. Like I, I, and to be honest, I think that that's a really, really a valid critique. Maybe not Sabrina, but like of, let's be honest, ninety percent of quote unquote art comics. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, and and but that is boy, she's she's got the knives out for Sabrina, and you know, I I sort of feel like. Fair enough. But I'm really glad hearing that you were also disturbed. And like you said, there is a part where part of me is like, yeah, OK, I am an out of touch white guy. In fact, that's I sort of feel like I'm I'm so out of touch that I couldn't even in good faith put together a best of list of comic books this year. You know, mm-hmm. so well, no, but at the same time, like, you know, speaking to the out of touch white guyness, I think that also explains like why I like Mr. Miracle so much. Mm hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel that that's also um, speaking to. I feel that both books actually speak to the same audience in similar ways, in a really strange way. I think I think there's something to that. I think there's something to that because I do think that for me, part of what worked about Sabrina is there is a de- Sabrina and Mister Miracle are both have a like acknowledgement that things are not great let's put it that way as their starting point for the cultures that they're looking at and mm-hmm. how they look i guess the the lens that they choose to to look at that is very different but it it ends up being very powerful there's strong undercurrents of despair in each title mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. maybe that is a despair that's very strongly tied to 
you know, clueless white guys of a certain age, but it's really, I, 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 honestly, I honestly think it is. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it speaks very much to, um, a disconnect with the modern world, which is in many ways a result of the, the privilege that white men, white straight men of a certain age mm-hmm. have felt and are suddenly finding themselves removed from. And I think that that ties in with a lot of the, um, the feeling of, of the ground shifting beneath their, le- their feet. Right. Right. You know, so I, I, I think that, I think that it's, I, it's, it feels to me at least definitely present. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm speaking to someone who is not on this list, but whose work I admire greatly. It also, uh, for me, at least, informs a lot of Kevin Hazenga's work. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I like I draw lines between like Hazenga, Hazenga and Sabrina, very, very much so, but to a lesser degree, like the the questions being asked by Hazenga and and uh, Mr. Miracle. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think there, there, there's relations. Um, more on list, the Dread series, Dread, the Small House. Right. The the one that's just finished in 2008, which was was everything that can only be done by a, a comic that has been going on for 40 plus years, and has continually grown in complexity during that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I I loved it. I I, I it feels very. Um, it feels like something that no other comic could do. Mm-hmm. At this point, uh, especially because, and I know you've not read it, so I'm not going to give anything away, but there is simultaneously resolution and no resolution at the end of the story. Mm. And obviously, in some sense, there can't be resolution, right? Dread is going to continue on a weekly basis every week in 2008, fag fans. Um, but the way that Williams approaches it is the lack of resolution speaks to what the story is about. Mm. Um, there's a, a shift in power dynamic between characters inside the story mm-hmm. that is very much informed by by what has happened in the story, mm-hmm. and in many ways is a recognition on on behalf of certain characters of the power that they have always known that they've had, but never actually been willing to to take up, mm-hmm. and then do. And it, the, the what is Ned's part is is uh, fascinating to me, you know. And it's one of those things where like the Ned's issue is literally like a, a done and one by another writer, and I was like, "You fuckers, no!" <laughs> you know, which is one of those wonderful things that only happens in 2008. You know, where it's like, it's, like it's not a fill-in because that's the structure of dread, but it no. feels like a fill-in because you're like, "What?" <laughs> no, what? How could you do this to me? Um, but no, it, it was it was wonderful and and playing off of history and continuity in an astounding way, mm-hmm. like a, a way that again a comic can only do when it's been running for forty years. Mm-hmm. But to not retcon a story that's thirty years old, but show something that was always possible but never present before in that story mm-hmm. that simultaneously changes other stories that have happened since then mm-hmm. but doesn't change that first story 
and acts as an origin story for a character who has been a character in 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 not just Tread, but in other like series in 2080 and elsewhere, um, for like a decade now. Wow, is is really like formally a fascinating thing, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so yeah, it, it's yeah staggering, like really really incredible. Um, Prism Stalker, mm-hmm. Sloan Leong's thing for Image, mm-hmm. um. Really stuck with me. Really got under my skin. Um, in a the, the closest thing I can liken it to, is, and this is a very strange and like very me reference, mm-hmm. is Primal Scream's Exterminator album. Wow. <laughs> which which honestly, like, so that came out in like two thousands, and when that came out, there was a point where like I was obsessively listening to it, but I was also on some level thinking that every time I listened to it, it made me sick. Mm. If that makes sense. No, I like, definitely it, like like the record had somehow infected me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's something about Prism Soccer that I had the same. Not that it was infecting me, but that that there was some there's some un, unex, inexplicable, some unspeakable thing about it that had burrowed under my skin. Mm-hmm. You know that I couldn't understand the comic fully. Mm-hmm. But I also was obsessed with it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's on my list. I honestly have this, I have this thing written down, which is really sounding like damning with faint praise, and isn't meant to. <laughs> I honestly have Scott Snyder's Justice League isn't the most improved comic of the year, <laughs> <laughs> and part of that is honestly um, DC sent out a copy of the the first trade of the Snyder run mm-hmm. but they actually smartly put a, tra- a copy of the no justice trade with it mm. and like reading the two back to back I was like this is actually like really strong and very unlike what the comic was like before and I've said before like Snyder's metal and no justice and justice league are things that don't necessarily read wonderfully in individual issues but read really well in collection mm. and that was underscored again because there's just things that, like, at least for me, I forget when I'm reading in single issues. And so things just seem weirdly disjointed. Right. And then when I read them in a collection, I'm like, oh, it all flows together. It all makes sense. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure it really – I don't think it really belongs in a best-of-year list. But there's something about it, especially because this came on the heels of me reading, like – pardon me. This came on the heels of me reading Uncanny X-Men, mm-hmm. the new series, which is just – astonishingly bad <laughs> no really like really i'm 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 kind of shocked at how unambitious and um driven by nostalgia and simultaneously poorly executed the uncanny mm. x-men series mm. it's just if someone had you know, you have these people on Twitter who make the joke about, I, like, fed my artificial intelligence every episode of Seinfeld, and I told it to write a Seinfeld episode. Right. Uncanny X-Men feels like I fed my bot every issue of Uncanny X-Men published between 1991 and 1997. Oof. And I used to try an Uncanny X-Men comic. Mm. And so every issue has, like, cliffhangers, and they're all things you've seen before. Mm. 
oh my god, the mansion's exploded. Oh my god, like, Legion has come back, but he wants to fuck with the timeline. <laughs> and it's just like, art, really? <laughs> like, I, I should have known the first issue literally is like, who's our biggest threat? It's the Mutant Liberation Front. That's their biggest threat? That's the threat of the first issue. Wow. And then, of course, Apocalypse is involved. <laughs> and it's just, oh, and, and there's a senator who wants to outlaw mutants. Oh, boy. Wow. You see, I'm saying, like, all of it is like, it's not even the greatest hits. It's like the hits of the 90s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, although I feel like, I feel like the hit of the 90s would have to have more legacy virus. Is that in there, or? Uh, it's... It's not yet, Jeff, or at least not in the issues I've read. I've only read the first three, but I am honestly not surprised if – because there is a cure for mutants in there as well. Wow. And so I would not be surprised if that ends up being the legacy virus or something similar. Boof. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh... It's yeah. – so like next to that, like I then read Justice League and I was like, oh – <laughs> oh this is doing something oh this is doing something else okay sure yeah okay i'm right. on board right um yeah it, it's so th- those are i know there's more mm-hmm. Do you know i'm literally at the point where i'm looking back over like what have i read this year um i'm 100 percent screwed by the fact that for the first like three months i was just reading stuff from 2017 for the eisners right you know and so i literally am like that was great oh that wasn't this year Oh, that was great. No, that, you know, um, there's a lot of that. Uh, oh, before I, I, I move on very quickly, I want to say, you know, I read this week that I fucking loved. What? The first issue of Shazam. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, everyone can and will make Jeff Johns jokes all they want. Mm-hmm. But that first issue is tonally exactly right. Mm. It It is very much Jeff Johns, I think, arguably very cynically, sitting down and being like, okay, it's Shazam, but I want to kind of do it as like Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. How do I put those two things together? Mm-hmm. Um, and it it works. Like it's a, it's a fun YA adventure comic. And the backup strip is fucking cute as shit. Oh, yeah? What's the backup strip on that? It's Jeff Johns and... Oh, God, I don't have the issue to hand either, so I can't look. It's it's a... a, a I want to say like a, a Tumblr fan artist or something mm-hmm. who's illustrating it. And it's just like a really cute little story about Mary Marvel, uh, run, like her origins, her running away from home and how she became part of this surrogate family um, and ends with the origin of of Hoppy the Magic Bunny. Oh, wow. That's great. And it's just, it's just like super cute, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and it's just, it's very much not the, you know, everyone has the Jeff Johns, he's gonna, you know, rip someone's arm off. It, like, it's very much not that. It's also hilarious this came out like a week after Doomsday Clock, where, you know, Doomsday Clock at this point is, remains, as far as I'm concerned, a fascinating comic. But, spoilers, involves like firestorm slash not firestorm blowing up moscow oh boy wow you know so it's funny to to go from that to like jeff johns then doing this like really pulling it back for for shazam and it works wonderfully Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Anyway, that's me going on about comics. All like Jeff, you should talk about things. What have you been reading? Uh, what am I? What have I been reading? Well, like I said, Finland Saga by uh, God. Why don't I just hold on here? Because every time I do this, I'm like by uh, by Makoto Yukimura. Makoto Yukimura's Finland Saga I thought was exceptional. Uh, I read the next uh, volumes like. 21 through 27 of S&M by Mio Muraro. You may remember you, me mentioning this. Yeah, no, I do. Yes, this goddamn series will not die. It's up to 27 volumes, and there's still more. This thing is ridiculous that it keeps going. All the more so because, and this is going to sound like the weirdest comparison of the world, but it's in, in one way, one way only, it reminds me of uh, Easy Cigars Popeye uh, in that, bless his heart. Explain. <laughs> Easy Cigars Popeye is uh, one of my favorite strips ever and one of my favorite comics ever. But uh, Cigar started getting sick, died young. And the last year or two years of Popeye are not his strongest. And in fact, he's kind of going back and redoing earlier stories with uh, with with understandably diminished impact. It's not like he returned to it and was like, "Oh, this is you know like I'm I've improved on this." It's just kind of like I have to do something. Most of the kids who you know read the story from eight years now, eight years ago, are like sixteen and still aren't reading Popeye. I can go back and redo this thing because I've got my mortality on my mind. S&M is a series that should have ended. Well, many people would say should have ended before it started, but certainly once it started uh, and one of my great result, one of my great regrets about this series is I refer to it as basic instinct on bath salts. Uh, but I mean, I really meant fatal attraction on bath salts when it starts and then becomes a million times more insane. And there's a point around like volume 17 or 18 where I think, I mean, arguably, yeah, I think arguably up until volume 17 or 18, where he just gets more and more and more berserk. And then the last 10 volumes have been him revisiting his various scenes and sequences. Um, to diminishing returns. So in fact, one of the big things going on in this volume is more or less a like a complete retelling of an earlier ridiculous over the top homicidal sex orgy gone wrong taking place in an abandoned uh island in which, you know, the husband and the wife managed to triumph against all incredible odds and and not only reconcile, but the purity of their love manages to turn the absolute evil villain into essentially a, a, a weeping suicidal mess. And they keep redoing these things like it's frighteningly specific. And I'm just like, does he I don't even get why he's retelling this like any idiot who stuck along for like issue like you know who read the first 16 you know volumes of this trash 
is going to at least remember it, right? Like maybe I'm not the target audience for this. And like maybe it's brain damaged hobos who just really honestly don't remember two years previous in manga terms. But it's really it's a clear sign that this guy should have called it quits. And yet it's successful enough that he's like, I'm just going to keep cranking out the erotic thriller fiction here. Like, okay, here's another way for this guy to get seduced yet again. That actually reads like the last four times he got seduced. It's, it's an amazing, it's an, and what's amazing is, is the guy is no, is clearly no longer taking it seriously. Like at, at volume, somehow it's not until volume 23 or 24 that the character's uh, penis, main character's penis, becomes its, you know, be, it becomes personified, you know, and begins talking <laughs> to the reader and stuff. I love how you say it took until that long, as opposed <laughs> to this thing happened at all. <laughs> well, because there's that moment where I'm like, oh my god, did he he go here? And I'm like, well, of course he has to go here, like. This is one of the few reoccurring characters where, he where actually has. Go? Pretty much, pretty much is like he's at the point now where the characters have to have their, you know, personified genitalia in order to to drag out the sex scenes. So it's um, that's been dire. Uh, I read the first issue of Die by uh, Kieran Gillen and uh, Hans. Oh my goodness, what's her name? I feel bad. That St- I uh, Stephanie Hans. Stephanie Hans, which uh, with Clayton Cowles as letterer, it's that is that's kind of a lovely book, and I'm I'm into I, it. I loved I love that first issue a yeah. lot. I was very into it. I thought that was really strong, and there's going to be a point I'm sure where, uh, unfortunately, I always feel like with with Gillen's work, there's there's always some sort of like hard no from me but i was i was i really enjoyed this first issue a lot and was put to, i thought it was put together impeccably um you mentioned the immortal hulk as a uh as best comic i enjoyed the recent issue of that i also enjoyed the one shot immortal hulk the best defense enough that i picked up the namer the best defense which are part of this sort of defenders like like the, the crossover that's not a crossover. Yeah, exactly. Which I'm which is interesting cuz I thought both of them I thought the the Namer issue uh I I wasn't really down with it, but oh my god, I thought I thought Zdarsky did a pretty decent job of writing what he wrote, but also the art by Carlos Magno was just like gorgeous. Like that was a genuinely gorgeous book um there are parts there where i was like wow this is like this is like tony millionaire drawing a submariner book i'm totally into this uh green lantern issue two which i both enjoyed and also seem to remember nearly none of i don't know (laughs) why like i'm like no that was good i think um you know a, a minor news story is that uh very minor is that Boombox's fence, uh, the 12th issue was published, and then they sort of are like, Hey, good news, everyone, we're going on to, to, to do this series as OGNs from here. And, uh, which, uh, you know, has been sort of a popular pivot 
these days. Of yes. Like, Good news, yes. everyone. We're not publishing this as a regular issue, as a regular comic anymore. Um, for Fence, I feel that it makes a lot of sense because it is such a um, it's such an American uh, an, att- an American attempt to do uh, a manga, a fencing manga, and um, and I thought they did a pretty good job with it. So I think that honestly, if they manage to switch it and do a full OGN, that's basically paced sort of the same way because the pacing is so similarly um i mean it's a because it's an american book it's not as dense and therefore it comes off a a little more slow or turgid than than Mm -hmm. most manga but but at the same time it's i i think it's really enjoyable so like again i read the last issue of that recently and i was like ah i'm sort of sorry to see this go so um, and then I feel like if we want to still have the time to talk about it, we should move on and discuss uh, Plus Ultra, don't you think? Why don't you explain what Plus Ultra is? Hmm. Graham, I was so glad that you asked that while I was taking a drink of water. <laughs> I was going to say, why, do, why don't I time that better? And I'll ask when you're not taking a drink of water. <laughs> uh, Plus Ultra is uh, actually seven issues of a comic that by Overground Comics, written by John Hughes, drawn by Matthew Weldon, that um, was passed our way by the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios, with an eye for us uh, looking at it and seeing what we thought. And um, like I said, it's it's seven issues. They're self-published. They were published in a range from... 2015 through I think the bulk of them were published in a, almost bi-monthly throughout 2016 and the most recent issue that we have issue 7 is from October 2018 and is the uh, is 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 actually a cliffhanger so part of me is say, like so it's clearly it's clearly continuing based yeah. on the end of, of, of issue 7 exactly so uh, it's it's a self-published superhero series, superhero win series, I guess. Uh, Plus Ultra is a superhero, superheroine who is uh, a, a woman who, Christine, Kristen Counselor, who was, is an actress, I should say, or wanted to be an actress, and more or less turned uh, to becoming a superhero uh, and is over the course of seven issues, I guess the hook is more or less a superheroine who is dealing with the effects of celebrity. And uh, although each issue only really kind of dips its toes in the water of this, there's a certain amount of world building that is, is put into play about um, the the take Hughes and Weldon's take on the world that exists is such that there is a at least one tech company, HeroCore, that is capable of creating superheroes, su- giving people superpowers, uh, which people are then able to take and use that. It's not quite clear to me how much they are, you know, their own free agent or they uh, end up being able to work for Hero Core. Like there's a certain mix therein. It's almost seems almost kind of like something like 
military service in the sense of there are some people who are clearly working with Hero Corps or got their powers through Hero Corps and continue to work for them. And then people like Plus Ultra, who who is her own free agent. It takes place in Houston. Uh, and um, the issues kind of run the gamut from done in ones to uh, one or two part stories. I think uh, I think is the appropriate way to say it. So. Sure, but at the same time, like there's a running theme through the series. Yes, absolutely. You know, like it, it's something that. Okay, here's here's one of my problems with this comic, and I'll I'll be honest, I have a bunch of problems with this comic. Yeah. But one of the problems is, it, I was going to say there's a through line, but there's not a through line because this comic goes back and forth about on itself a bunch. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't seem to know what it wants to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be honest, one of my concerns is that I think it wants to be something that it quite plainly isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, I think it's it wants to be... Uh, I'm trying to have a good way of saying this. It wants to be simultaneously cheesecake and like a response to cheesecake mm-hmm. am i am i the only one who got that did you get that as well you know i i feel like there, there's a lot of uh very self-conscious response to why the character is so sexualized mm. i i there's a lot of i mean there's an entire issue where there's there's an interview mm-hmm. about her, her being uh you know, confronted on television about her appearance. And she's more or less like, I can dress how I want to dress. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, the end of the first issue is her, like after a battle, you know, having to cover her chest and asking someone to get her a shirt. Mm-hmm. You know, or or in that same interview, the the interviewer takes her to task for wearing high heels and she's like i don't have a problem running in high heels and that's actually something that happens earlier in the series mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. she does mm-hmm. and it's it, there's just and the the interview theoretically took place before that scene because the interview is a flashback yes uh and it's just i don't know it, it feels i'm i'm 100 projecting onto the creators here but it feels very much like they want to make a quote-unquote sexy superhero character, mm-hmm. but they're also really self-conscious about doing so. So they feel that they have to make her ha- like have her address the criticisms that they are expecting. You know, it, it's uh, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that. I I think that um, so the every issue instead of have you know starts with there's the cover and then there's a recap page. That is a little bit like starts off as sort of a, a straight recap and then rapidly becomes kind of uh, uh, like almost a, a meditation on the themes of the issue, I suppose. And um, which I found to varying degrees of working or not working, but I do think is supposed to leverage an idea um it leverages some insight into perhaps what the what the creators are going with. And in the first issue, which is called Careful What You Wish For, the recap page starts of sort of telling us who the character 
is. Uh, uh, and and in that classic, unfortunate sort of, you know, um, I don't want to say beginner's comic, but like relatively early on, you know, um, in someone's career, there's a lot more uh, telling than there is in the showing of the comic. Like, oh, you see a lot of the, the what they're thinking. And it seems as if part of what they're aiming for is the idea that that plus ultra is supposed to be a character that is uh wants attention and in the course of doing so ends up feeling alienate sort of more the the harder she tries to draw attention to herself the more she is aware that she's not showing her she's not really being seen and so the more that she feels that she's not being seen, the more it drives her to actually try and get more attention. That the insecurity at the heart of the character is supposed to be, if I'm following it correctly, the uh, that the, 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 the superhero secret identity uh, is supposed to be kind of a metaphor for that. So... At least the first issue, and I I wish I could say that it was successful, but uh, rereading it the second time, I think there are elements because there's points where in the first issue um, you start off with Plus Ultra being, you know, photographed uh, for a magazine article that she's going to do where she's going to be talking to her, talking about herself. And essentially in the course of her after being shot for this cover, like everyone who works at the magazine more or less gets drawn to a supervillain um, currently rampaging. That's like, it's being shown live on social media and plus ultra more or less gets more and more upset over the whole situation that she like, like literally tell it tears the computer in half, like breaks the table and is like, okay, fine. Look at me, folks. I'm going to jump out in this ridiculously revealing uniform and and beat up the bad guy. And so I kind of like, oh, OK, so the the idea of having someone who because um, sort of like Black Canary, uh, Kristen wears a blonde wig, uh, even though she's not a blonde and sort of plays up a sexualized stereotype. Uh, the idea is, is that. You, you know what I'm saying? The the idea of like, oh, what if you had a secret identity and that secret identity that the course of doing that only essentially made you feel worse about yourself and more insecure. And mm -hmm. I think that that's actually kind of a pretty solid premise or at least analogy metaphor to run with. It doesn't really go much further than the first issue and then sort of kind of maybe resurfaces like you said in that interview issue in the seventh issue yes you know what i mean so yeah and and, and what is between those issues is i mean it's a very strange book in terms of i'm not quite sure where it's going yeah. this it, you know what? It reminds me of two things. Mm -hmm. One, it reminds me of Strangers in Paradise, really strangely, and I'm mm. not entirely sure why. And two, it reminds me very much of Empowered. Mm. Yeah. 
And I think that Empowered does the same thing better mm-hmm. because Empowered is more is less shameless is more shameless less shameful about what it's doing. Well, yeah, but I mean, I I would also say uh, part of it is is that you know, to me, Adam Warren is like a comics genius. You know, and these oh, yeah. and no, no, who no, has no. tons I... of experience under his belt by the time that he gets to empowered. And I would even say that it still takes a volume or two for him. Oh, to I, I, out... I don't think empowered really makes sense until like volume three. Yeah, exactly. And so it's it is kind of a hard road, you know. No, no agreed. But mm-hmm. in the same way that I think the first two volumes of empowered are. I mean, by their very nature, they're like collections of shorter pieces, mm-hmm. but they are choppy as hell. Yes, they really, really are. And, and so, are, so is Plus Ultra when you read it one after another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like, like pair issue six, which is, you know, Plus Ultra comes face to face with like a, a, essentially like a, a magical pixie girl. Yeah. Know who is who is very cute and, and makes things cute happen, and the end result is that you know Plus Ultra she makes friends with Plus Ultra, and they ride a unicorn through the city. Right, right. Like the, even just the tone of that mm-hmm. compared with like issue seven, the very next issue, mm-hmm. which is much more. I mean, back into like the, the the idea of like celebrity and celebrity dehumanizing Plus Ultra right. and making her doubt herself and making her say things that she doesn't really believe in. Like they they feel like very different books, mm-hmm. you know, and and it, it it does. It's one of these things where I think reading the seven issues in a oneer, like I did, I don't know about you, mm-hmm. um, hurts the book a lot mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it, it, with a month in between or however many months it was in between, it might feel like you know they're showing off their vers- the versatility of the character. Mm-hmm. Bruising them one after another, it more feels like I don't know what this book is. Yeah, well, I think that I think that there is the because some of the some of the issues also are very short. Uh, there's like one issue I think I don't remember if it's issue three maybe or issue four. There's there's one that's that's only like fifteen pages that more or less ends kind of as it's getting started i think maybe it is issue four uh where it's kind of like oh we we beat the bad guys and that's it you know kind of here here's the wacky thing jeff Mm -hmm. i also thought that and it's not true really you know like i counted up the pages they're mostly around 20 pages aha okay then i'm you know i still issue two is the shortest right and the, the story there is 18 pages okay well, there you go. Right. And the rest of the time, they're like, yeah, 20. They're, t- they're 20, 21 pages. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's very funny. Um, So I but, think. But I, I also thought that. I also thought that like the, the issues were of far more variable length yeah. and that some were very short. Yes. It's really interesting. Both of us thought that. That is that is interesting. Well, because I think there is uh, the the writer and the artist are are learning the craft the I find the I found the pacing to be pretty erratic. Yeah, this one here that ends at 24 pages, I would swear that that was a 10-page comic. Right. Uh, yeah. So so strange. Yeah. So so there's there's some there's some pacing problems like there's an entire issue that is after after the first issue introduction which ha- tr- tries to have a 
superhero supervillain fight and introduce the concept of the character like it literally follows with an entire issue of the character de deciding to change her costume being unable to make her costume and so bringing her costume to a uh, costume maker um, killing time until the costume maker has made the costume and it's ready and then that's the end of the issue so it's it's one of those weird intermission issues that happens after an issue, literally right after we've been introduced to the character. And so I'm like, oh, OK, so I guess we're going for kind of a slice of life superhero comic. Those sort of, you know, those 80s comics where you had a superhero who, like, doesn't have anything to do. And then so just sort of wanders around in costume and you know, ends up like drinking with people in a bar. But no, the very next issue is part of a two part story where Plus Ultra like out shopping when a bunch of of um, I want to say supervillains, but they see themselves as uh, sort of at like maybe eco warriors or eco terrorists who are basically in the process of trying to um, destroy a satellite that was put in the city because they felt it was going to poison the earth. And so the three villains all who all have earth related powers end up fighting plus ultra and um, there's Ultima and Ultima that shows up in, in issue four, who's, whose costume design I kind of like, I, I have to say, um, I it's, and then, so it just keeps changing. Then after they beat those guys up, then there's more world building as uh plus ultra who has got her superpowers through hero core takes Ultima to one of the hero core buildings where like, basically people have their little headquarters. Like you can reserve a room. That's a little bit like your superhero base where you can, change your costume and it's a it's a little bit like almost like a you know somewhere between a day spa and you know a celebrity changing room slash supposedly secret fortress kind of deal and and so it's the book is super ambitious and it's clear that the writer has a you know, I assume the artist as well, but on the writer, on, on John Hughes' side, you really see a lot of ambition. And honestly, I think that it's one of those books that I feel would, would if they had an editor to kind of help hone things, because there's bits and pieces where I'm like, uh, this page is, is has too much too much redundant information on it, you know, and then there's other pages where I'm like, there's not enough information on this page mm -hmm. to actually mm -hmm. convey it. And so there's kind of a start and stop kind of thing. It feels like when you're watching someone uh, who's learning how to drive, drive a stick shift, like things lurching together That's... and then suddenly stop suddenly, you know. That's really funny you say that because I was going to say that like you see the writer, the writer through the seven issues. Mm -hmm. Like if the first issue, and to an extent, saying, but really the first has some egregious like overwriting. Yeah, you know, like you know, there are literally far too many words in this panel yes. moments, mm -hmm. and that's that's not the case by issue seven. Uh, and like technically, I think you see him get better, mm -hmm. but 
I don't think you see the book come into any more focus. Mm, interesting. I thought that the most successful issue was issue six in that it's not overwritten and it's got, you know, it's uh, plus ultra is dealing with a magical imp character. Like I said, the magical pixie girl, but very much kind of, uh, you know, a character with almost Mr. Mitzelplickish like uh, powers. And mm -hmm. part of what that allows the book to do is have a certain amount of whimsy and also a certain amount of, because she can, you know, her, her name's Limerick and essentially any Limerick that she composes, which she's sort of obsessively compelled to do turns into reality. And so essentially goofy stuff happens for no other reason than she does it. And then she can't figure out how to undo it. And, uh, it, you know, it, to me, I was like, Oh, that mostly works. You know what I mean? Sure, like it yeah, kind of yeah. like sort of removed from having to explain why everything is happening allows them to cut to being able to have stuff happen and and for it to also kind of be charming. Like it doesn't necessarily have to have a lot of uh, stakes to it, whereas like mm -hmm. issue seven, which is much more ambitious and cuts back and forth between two different time periods um, and is, you know, intercutting between a hostage situation and plus ultras interview by a faux Oprah style character is like you said, it's not as the, the, the writing is, is sort of better in terms of page flow, but I also feel is still at the same time, very much struggling to, to keep all the plates spinning. You know? Yeah. Uh, I've got to say, I like the art. Mm -hmm. I think there are, there are, there are as always, you know, things that could be sharpened up. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that Matthew Weldon actually does a pretty good job in the art. I, I run hot and cold on Weldon's art. I like, I like Weldon's arts. I like, I like a lot of the facial expressions. I feel like there is, um, it's, it's really not too far removed from, I feel like some of the work that we saw moving through Marvel around the time of, um, it kind of reminds me, uh, and maybe this is just costume similarities, but remember when Brian Reed was writing, uh, Captain Marvel or Ms. Marvel. I guess it was Captain Marvel. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, uh, no, it was Ms. Marvel at that point. It was Ms. Marvel at that point. Like, it kind of reminds me of some Marvel work from that era, you know? Or even, uh, gosh, there's a DC artist uh, that it kind of reminds me of. I want to say, like, I feel like didn't, was it Ed Benes who had, like, sort of a more cartoony sort of side to his kind of cheesecakey stuff before it got a little more grim and serious looking, or am I totally misremembering that? I'm, I don't remember that, but I would be lying if I said I was really paying a lot of attention. <laughs> 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 exactly. And um, it reminds me of two things. Mm -hmm. One, 
Claire Rowe, who did Batgirl and Birds of Prey for a while mm. after the Rebirth relaunch, mm-hmm. and also really early Ter- Terry Dodson. Ah, interesting. Interesting. Okay. You know, and honestly, if you're doing a book like this, I think those are pretty good. Those are like, good influences. To have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there's some Mike McCohen in there as well. Yeah, actually, that's a really good, 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 uh, good, good comparison because I can definitely see that. So, yeah, I actually think that the, the facial expressions and a lot of the pacing in the dialogue scenes work better than action scenes or larger scale stuff. So I, I feel like there's a way for that to go. Um, I, I sort of run kind of weirdly hot and cold on the character designs because the first time through, I was like, eh. and the second time through, there's a certain level of character design that seems like Limerick is actually a good one where it's like she is dressed like a manic pixie girl, but because she's wearing kind of a, a like a kind of bright colored raincoat with a hood, it looks enough like or I guess she's actually wearing a bright colored beanie, but it looks enough like a costume. You know what I mean? Like if if nothing else, all the characters are very easily identifiable um you know pretty much from any angle like everyone looks more or less unique and that you know that in some ways that sounds like you know like the very minimum you can expect but i find that that is actually a surprisingly hard thing i was, I was gonna say that that should be the minimum you could expect but yeah. let's face it we we both know that it's not true yeah exactly exactly so um you know, it it was interesting. I sat down reading it, being like, "Oh boy, what you know, what what am I gonna, what am I gonna get?" And it was interesting to finish it up, being like, "I don't necessarily know what I did get." Yeah, you know, yeah, what I mean? I'm, I'm the same. Yeah. It, it's one of those things that feels. It, this is this genuinely is damning the fame praise. Like, if this book gets to issue twenty four, mm-hmm. it's going to know what it is. Right, right, and. Then I'd be interested in revisiting. Yeah, I, because like you said, like there's there's some interesting ideas here. Mm-hmm. I'm just not sure where they're going, or, or honestly, if the creators know where they're going. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I I, I can't tell to what extent to which the to what extent the creators are aware that they're that they kind of are have yet to fulfill the promise of any one particular issue or the book overall per se, or if they're like, Oh yeah, I nailed it. And now we're on to the next one, you know? So part of me is just like, I, I definitely want, I'm really impressed that, that these guys have done seven full length issues. And again, most of them, the, there was a big, there's a gap between issue six and issue seven, but like, issues what three two through six three through six are done on a bi-monthly schedule um i part of me is like i hope that they can continue to keep doing it because i think that they will continue to grow i just also think that if they were working with an a strong editor and, and and by i guess i don't mean a strong editor in one that has strong tastes but just one that is very good at communicating one one that can push back yeah, one that, one that can push back in a way that's like, what are you saying here? I don't see what you're saying here. How can you make this tighter? How can you dramatize what you're really trying to say here? Because mm-hmm. you, 
it's definitely they get the sense that that's what they're supposed to be doing. I just don't think that they've managed to quite trip the switch and get that have that happen yet. So yeah, but, but uh, here's the weird thing: reading Plus Ultra is not like I I wouldn't be buying this book personally, mm-hmm. but at the same time. You know, I actually had more fun reading this than I had reading Uncanny X-Men. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally know what you mean. Like, I came back to this and I was like, I like I like that more than Namor the Best Defense, which definitely had better art. You know, I like the art on Namor the Best Defense a lot. But but honestly, I could sit down and pick apart all the ways in which I feel like uh, Namor the Best Defense is kind of more turgid and somehow both more predictable and more rote, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, that's the thing. For all that we are criticizing this book for not knowing what it is. Right. And I, you know, that's a legitimate criticism and, and I'm not backing down from it. Yeah. Is that better than a book where not only does it know what it is, but you know exactly what it is from page two? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And the, and the thing is, is the, I guess the answer is it really depends because I do think that there's a lot to be said for, at least for people like me who read the superhero comics, people simultaneously do want to know what they're going to get, but they also somehow want to be surprised. So, I mean, that's part of what makes it such the tightrope act that it is. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. in some cases you were talking about the immortal Hulk. One of the things I find amazing about immortal Hulk by the time we get to issue 10 is uh, it's like, like Ewing is, I think pushing and changing the book very quickly so that you don't really have time to, you know, kind of it's it's not falling into a rut. It's not going to let you fall into a rut um, and which I appreciate. And yet at the same time, there's part of me that's like, oh, I, I hope we don't entirely lose that kind of the weirdness of like issue two, you know, a, a very yeah. like a very specific sort of like in 10 issues i feel like he's run through sort of in the in a way like plus ultra did it's kind of like it's been a horror book he's had a superhero fight he's had like his kind of indie comic rashomon issue you know and now we're like really like the the horror comic feel of it is just growing and growing and growing but he keeps weaving all these other types of genre genres into it um, and that's, you know, he knows exactly what he's doing. And yet there's part of me that's like, boy, I sure hope we get a couple more issues of the Hulk as Spectre again, you know, when we really mm-hmm. might not at all. So, yeah, I, I don't think we will. Yeah, I don't think so either. I don't think so either. In some cases, I felt like Immortal Hulk, the best defense. Part of what I liked about it was a little bit of Ewing being able to backtrack and give us another issue of um, the Hulk as Spectre, you know, before before moving forward toward whatever the hell he's shooting toward. So, yeah, yeah. So, it's like true, I but, said, 
you know, kind of weird that I have both the, yeah, keep going. Yeah. I love that. I'm being surprised. And part of me being like, ah, if only we got like a 20 issue run of Hulk, the hobo, the supernatural hobo. Cause I'm a big fan of supernatural hobo comic books. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. but, 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 if, but I don't know how you could have that in today's marketplace, you know, really. Super hobos in this marketplace. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, I didn't oh, mean to cut no. off your point there. So, no, but 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 I think there's, yeah, it's it's weird. Like Plus Ultra is something where more than anything, I'm like, I'm not sure I really dug it, but I also dug it enough that I want you to keep going doing it. Yeah, right. I want the person to keep doing it. And I kind of have that, like, yeah, I don't necessarily know that I loved it that much while I was reading it, but I do find myself sort of flipping through it, being like, I have a weird kind of fondness for it. So, yeah, yeah. I got a lot more out of this than I thought, first of all. Yeah, yeah, which is which is fun and sort of a pleasant surprise. So so I'm ultimately, all in all, I'm really glad that these issues got passed along to us. I th- that's a good place to end it, Jeff. <laughs> I think so, hey, Jeff. Yes. Do you know next week is going to be our final episode of the, the year, <laughs> although it's going to be a, a, a Baxter building? Yes. But it's also going to be the final Baxter building if we manage to do 11 issues at once. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We're going to have to do that. And, uh, Graham, I should warn you, warn you, a friend of mine bought me a Fantastic Four t-shirt, so... <laughs> Are you going to be wearing it? Please I will. I, will be, I am. I'm going to be wearing it for the final episode, and I may or when, may when not. You say, when you say a friend of yours, did you get yourself the T-shirt? Why do you ask? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. God, no comment. Did, did you uh, wait? Seriously, did you actually get yourself no, the T-shirt? No, 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 no. My my friend John got it for me, which is really very sweet of him, but. No, I love the idea that you got for yourself. I, I love that. I, know. I was like, I oh my god, Jeff, did you really do it? You know what, Graham? <laughs> the reason why you should know that it didn't is if I did, I would have gotten you one and you would have it by now. <gasps> that would be so great if just like with an unmarked package appeared in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> Part of me is like, I'm like, shit, I've got like three days to make this happen. Because I sort of feel like we really should. It's the 50th episode of the baxter building and at the final one yeah yeah so um after this the fantastic four die and as someone who read fantastic four issue four lately that's it could be worse <laughs> i wanted to ask you about dan slots ff is it you ha- you already have asked me you asked me no, on, on know, the but that was like on the first issue and like it's it was on the second issue oh was it oh jesus yeah okay all right, and so now it's twice as far down the road, and you're like, ooh. And I just, I just find it funny that already the launch artist of the book, who when they launched it were like, only Sarah Pacelli could draw this, is already off the book. Really? By issue yeah. four? Like by issue three, Jeff? Ooh. She didn't even finish issue three. No. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Fuck. Wow. Wow. Right. Right. Yeah, I I have no idea what happened there, but yeah, she's gone. It's it's um, it's fine. 
there was a t- well, no. Here's here's the thing. I I kind of like uh, Dan Slott's Spider Man, mm-hmm. but there was a tendency in Spider Man to, uh, and I think this happened to Silver Surfer, even though a lot of people like Silver Surfer more than I did, to be so aware of the tropes that you're playing with that like you wink at them far too much, mm-hmm. and it looks like you have a twitch, <laughs> and that is one hundred percent Slott's uh, Fantastic Four. Huh. You know, so he's like, hey, the Fantastic Four is back, but they can't stay at the Baxter building, which for some reason is now the Baxter building again. I honestly don't know when that happened. Hmm. Um, they can't stay at the Baxter building uh, because the Baxter building has been bought out by a new team called the Fantastics because people can't tell the difference between genuine wonder or fake wonder anymore. Do you get it? So they moved to Yancey Street, but it's number four Yancey Street. And you're like, oh shit! All of that's true, by the way. That that's actually the plot. No, 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 no. I some it sounded too specific for you to be, you know, sort of pulling it out of your butt on the spur of a moment. So, uh, yeah, that's right. And you know, it's and it's just like all of that's like, sure, I get what you're doing, but like again, I shouldn't get what you're doing from page one. Yeah. You know, and when you just like, there's such a thing as like, you know, it's not lampshading if you are just yelling it at the top of your voice. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. You're you're literally just you're literally just doing the obvious thing. The end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a beautiful uh, one sentence review or two sentences, depending on, I guess, if you put the end as its own sentence. Uh, it is its own sentence. Yeah, yeah. Two sentence review. So, hmm. Well, uh, yes. So. So on that note, on be glad that... we're not doing anything more than the original <laughs> run of the Fantastic Four. Although I've got to be honest, part of me is kind of sad we're not going to do the Claremont stuff now. I got to say, I'm kind of sad about that too. I really am. I really am. Maybe after we launch our new project and go for a year, we'll come back and maybe do the Claremont oh, run or something. <laughs> Oh Lord. Oh Lord. That should be our new Patreon thing. <laughs> but like listen, how much do you want to really really continue backspilling? Really? Do you really want to? <laughs> Make it worth our while. <laughs> well, I'm sure most people would be like, I'm not paying you more. You already went through the worst of it, you know. Exactly. Why would you go through the second worst? Yeah, exactly. Or why should I pay you more for the second worst? That's like you know, get in there and stop crying, crybabies. Tell me about Chris Claremont's Fantastic Four. <laughs> we might, you know what's going to happen? We're going to end up doing it not even on a Baxter building just because both of us missed the Fantastic no, Four. That, totally, totally. I say that at the same time that part of me is like, I don't think I want to read the Fantastic Four again for a while. And I say that as somebody who will probably <laughs> try and crack open the Fantastic Four Unlimiteds before the end of the year. But yeah, uh, uh, we we did it to ourselves. We're terrible, terrible people. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely are. And on that closing note, Graham, do you want to tell people where we could they can find these terrible people? You can find us all over the internet. We have show notes at waitwhatpodcast.com. We are on Instagram, instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpods. We are on Tumblr at waitwhatpods.tumblr.com. Oh. And we are on Twitter. Well, Sorry, I was going to say, 
Actually, I feel like the the Tumblr porn thing is going to be would, would have been another news story that I would have brought up. Oh, especially because Jeff, I'm not joking. We're getting flagged for maybe every second post we do now. Really? That's crazy. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that's crazy, but it's not crazy considering some people think that they are that their their content filter is just a flesh tone filter. Like it's literally just. I, I, I would not be surprised. Uh, the origin of Nova got flagged. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Starman got flagged. Starman po- uh, posts got flagged too. Wow. Wow. Tumblr. Bad news, man. This is. Yeah, I have, I have to say, if this keeps going, mm-hmm. like, there might not be a way about Tumblr, like, yeah. this time in, in a month. We'll see. Anyway, for now it is waywattpod.tumblr.com. Uh, and we have a Twitter account at waywattpodcast. Jeff has a Twitter account at lazybastard at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I have a Twitter account at Graham M. G-R-A-E-M-E-M. Yeah. And we have a Patreon, Jeff. Well, yes, Graham, we do. And uh, let me tell you, we appreciate all of our listeners. We really do. Um, it manages to keep us... Um, uh, just, uh, I don't know, you know, Graham and I, what's that? And just keep, keep us off the streets. Keeps us off the streets. Graham and I, as you both, as you know, were horrific, horrific troublemakers, truants, vagrants, uh, just irascible rascals on the streets. And uh, this, this keeps us engaged in uh, community building services that are healthy and wholesome uh, and we are we're grateful to you for supporting those endeavors and keeping us clean. Thank goodness. And we're especially grateful to uh, listeners on Patreon who, who throw us a little bit of hard earned dosh as if to say, they're there, you Bowery boys. You're going to be OK in the end, you mugs. Um, and the kind crude American <laughs> Ninth Art Studios, as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. Uh, we're especially grateful for their continuing support of this podcast. And one of them may or may not be the Guardian. Graham? <laughs> the Guardian? The newspaper? The yes. Guardians of the Galaxy? No. The Guardian of the Universe? Ah, like, I was going to say the Manhattan Guardian, but I wasn't sure if he was the Manhattan Guardian or not. But, yeah, you know, I was talking as if we were like the Newsboy Legion and the Bowery Boys. So, you know, you know how like they had the one. You can be big words and I'll be Scrapper. (laughs) Damn it. I wanted to be Scrapper. Okay, can I be Flipper Dipper? Oh, shit. That was that was my second choice. I figured it'd be funnier what? to start Come a fight over Scrapper you, No, look, look, listen. You can, look, I can't, you can't claim all my choices. Yeah, that's true. I don't, know if you, I don't know if you heard me say this, but I said I wanted to be Scrapper Dapper instead of Flipper Dipper. So <laughs> it sounds bad. Anyway, you can be Flipper Scrapper Dipper. Scrapper Rapper. I'm, oh, Scrapper Per Rapper. I'm doing it. I'm on it. <laughs> DC, call us. We're ready to bring the Newsboy Legion into the 21st century. Um, but by 21st century, you mean like 2010. Yeah, exactly. No, 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 Graham. The very first issue is us being told we have to pivot to video. And then the very second issue is us being told <laughs> the video has failed. So I think I think we can do this. I think we can make this work. God.
Oh, God. Listen, if there's one thing we never want to do, it's pivot to video. Okay. Oh, oh, you and I especially. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Yeah, wait what will never be. Unless it's like a slideshow. I've sometimes thought about, like, looking at all those big, tall uh, YouTube dollars that people get. I'm like, well, if we just audio, put the put the wait, audio are, up and put, like, wait, images Are there tall YouTube tellers? I've been told. I don't. I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. Is is like some people use YouTube for all of their stuff. Like people are like, "Hey, do you think you can get put up on like Google Play or like how about YouTube or you know what I mean?" Like I'm sort of like I feel like I feel like we should we should do a Google Play once. We should do a, a, a what do they call it? Hangouts. Yeah, we should do we should do a Google Hangout. We should be. We should have a Twitch stream where you and I show up, and it's just um, pictures of comic books on the screen. And we just like show. We just like show up and like talk. Yeah. And people can watch. That'd be weird, Jeff. Twenty nineteen is going to be a crazy year. That's all we're saying. Wait, what? That's, listeners. Uh, I'm saying, look for it, us on the Cam Girl Network. As wait, what? <laughs> I'm with. I know that bombshell. <laughs> <laughs>